get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Here's a slap shot. It goes wide. Rebound, and what a save by Bennington. The Brinkett held it in, shoots it, and off a deflection from Strom. This one's in on Bennington. Two chances at it. And another save as Mike Hardman was close at pounding in his first of the year. That's what it sounded like on Saturday night as Bennington pitched a shutout for the St. Louis Blues with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, I was highly critical of Jordan Bennington on Friday morning. This is what it sounded like Friday morning when BK spoke. I still believe everything that I said. I do not regret any of it. However, when you do something like Bennington did on Thursday night, where you've got all the antics that show up, you take the swipe. I know it wasn't close, but we can move forward from that. You put your spot. You put the spotlight on yourself. Bennington did that. He was front and center. And that's the way I want to see him respond. He comes out on Saturday and he was excellent for the Blues. They needed a big performance out of him. The forwards just weren't on track the way that they have been. You saw the loss of Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad. It showed up in a big way. You just, they had their opportunities, but they weren't able to capitalize. And it was really the first time all year long that the Blues struggled like that as offensively the way they did. So you needed a big time performance out of your goalie. And Jordan Bennington, right after he put the spotlight on himself, comes out with his first shutout performance since February 20th of 2020. That is the way you respond. Kudos to him. Big time game from him and the Blues win on Saturday night against Chicago. Yeah, and I think he was wanting to respond in that way as well because of his comments once the antics took place and him apologizing. But then he didn't apologize. Like like he apologized for swinging the stick and said, I don't condone that. But he didn't apologize for what he did on the ice because that's Jordan Bennington. But he was wanting a response like that. And they needed him because, man, there were a lot of turnovers in that game for the Blues. And the Blackhawks were all over. There were no highlight reel saves by Bennington. Like the story in that game was Marc-Andre Fleury. Fleury was a sensational. But Jordan Bennington was... I mean, it was a brick wall for him. Like anything that came to him, he swallowed whole. It's kind of what led to Ville Husso's first shutout of the season. So Bennington was exactly what it needed him to be. And frankly, I think there were a lot of skeptics that were watching that game because if you look at it, I've been a component of Jordan Bennington as a great goaltender, but he has allowed three or more goals in what is it? Four of the six games that he has played in, if I'm not mistaken, that's a little concerning for some people. So that was a good thing to see. It wasn't a high powered offense from Chicago, but look, you got to get your goaltender to make the saves when, when you absolutely need them to. And the one that sticks out to me was the breakaway that Jordan Bennington shut the door on. You got to make those. Yeah. And he, he gave you what you needed at the end of the day. And you always tell me about how his wins are the most important stat. I view that as a team set, but he, he's now five and one on the year. And that's all you can ask for from your starting goalie. You're right. He's allowed three or more uh, going into the last night or Saturday night's game. He allowed three or more goals in four of his five starts. Not what you're looking for. 
but they won. <laughs> they, they kept on winning, and so kudos where it's due. And right now, credit needs to go to Jordan Bennington after his performance on Saturday night. The Blues are now fifth in the NHL, allowing just 2.1 goals per game on the season. The other thing that I took away from Saturday night's performance, Alex, they won once again without their best stuff. It's like a starting pitcher. We always love when Adam Wainwright, you can tell early on he just doesn't have his best stuff. And he finds a way to fight through six, giving up like two or three earned runs, gives you a quality start. And you look at it, and you're like, man, if that was one of their other starters, I don't know that they get through three or four. But Wayno just finds a way to battle through it. That's how it felt on Saturday for the Blues. They didn't have their best stuff. They weren't. The chemistry wasn't there all the way. You could tell they they really miss Ryan O'Reilly right yeah. now in a big, big way. He's the stir that straws that drink. And they found a way to make it work. They found a way to battle through and get a win against a team that's terrible. The the Blackhawks are just a really bad hockey team right now. You say that, but the Arizona Coyotes might be worse than the Blackhawks, which goes to show you how bad the Central Division in terms yeah. of those two teams are just going to Alex be. Just as Alex told us all year long. I did say that the Central Division was going to be awful with those yeah, two I teams. I thought he going to be the best. <laughs> he did. I well. put money on the Blackhawks <laughs> to win the <laughs> Well, that means you're listening to the national analyst, too, who's at the Blackhawks. Quote, unquote, we're going to be the third best team in yeah. Central Division this year. Now, look, they are missing Patrick Kane, and I think that's an important factor. Might be a different team when they fire Jeremy Colleton, which I would imagine is going to come soon. Yeah, why does that guy still got a job? <laughs> Let's well, be I'm, honest. I'm a little surprised by that as well. But uh, in due time, I would imagine when you're 0-6-2 on the season. Seven. But, oh, they're 0-7-2. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I forgot that the Blues beat them on Saturday yeah. night. It was sarcasm, T-Bone sarcasm you should pay more attention i probably should i should watch the game look this this wasn't a good game the one for robert bortuzzo's comment that sticks out to me a couple of days ago when o'reilly missed that first game and he said he's a calming force on this team and and i think you can see that on the ice especially with with how the forwards are playing like ryan o'reilly seems to be the component of i'm gonna dump the puck in and we're gonna chase after it And without him on the ice, it seems like the Blues are trying to be more skilled through the neutral zone. There was a lot of side-to-side passing, like through the crease, that the Blues expect to have success with. And the Blackhawks created a lot of turnovers. I think there were 14 giveaways from the Blues in that game on Saturday. So as bad as the offense was, and I say bad loosely because they still outshot Chicago by like 30 shots, but the defense is the part for me. And, you know, Tanner Hendrickson over here, who's like, ah, the defense still isn't any good. This team's not going to be successful. That was you. That's what you sounded like. Am I wrong? Yeah, you are wrong because this defense actually looks really good. The one thing for me that I have been impressed by for this Blues team to the start of the year is that they legitimately have a top four defensive unit. Marco Scandell is a little loose for some people, but hey. He's been solid. He's been the shutdown guy that you need him to do. Penalty kill minutes, five on five. Colton Pareko looks like a number one defenseman. And guys, Justin Falk. Justin Falk is starting to trend in the direction of people's conversations of saying, man, who is this guy? He's starting to look like the guy from the Carolina Hurricanes once again. Yeah, and after the game on Saturday, Craig Berube had this to say about Falk. He's everywhere, you know, in my opinion. Everywhere everywhere I look up, he's doing something. You know, like... (laughs) Breaking a play up, then he gets the puck, and it's it's always under pressure, I find, and he makes a real good play. Anytime Craig Berube chuckles or giggles when he's talking about a player, that means you know he's having a good start to the season. Yeah, he's been excellent so far this year, and he's the type of guy that it took a while for it to really come together for him here in St. Louis, but he's adjusted. 
And now he is in the role that he needed to be in. Alex, I think this is kind of the lesson for the Blues this year. You see guys that are in roles that they should be in. It's the Peter principle, right? They're not asking them to be something that they're not. And Justin Falk, in that first year here in St. Louis, he was on the left side. This is a top pairing defenseman. He was the left side on the third pairing defenseman. Oh, no, suddenly he's the right side third pairing defenseman. He was all over the place in the lineup. He was never truly comfortable. And then last year, you saw glimpses of it. He started to look better. But I still am not sure he was completely comfortable in the, in the system. This year, he looks like it's all second nature. It's reacting as opposed to thinking. And that's the biggest difference for me watching him right now. He looks like a guy that's just completely comfortable at all times on the ice. And when you have him as your number two right-sided defenseman behind Colton Pareko, who looks great once again, he looks like he's actually healthy this year. That's the biggest difference is you've got guys in roles that they should be in right now. Yeah, I think that's spot on, especially with Tory Krug. And even the, the third pairing defenseman, like, Craig Berube is still able to shorten that bench late into hockey games where he's not relying on Jake Wallman and Nico Mikola. I don't think Mikola played more than one shift in the third period against the Blackhawks. And it didn't seem like the Blues were short men, did it? Like, it didn't feel like the Blues were only using four guys on the defensive side because you got Colton Pareko who can eat 26, 27 minutes a night. I heard Doug Armstrong do an interview on Friday talking about how Pareko has to eat the heavy minutes in hockey games where he has to play every single penalty kill for at least a 90 seconds, if not the full two minutes of that. But on top of it, he's got to play all the five on five time. You're doing that. Tory crew can solely be your power play guy, gets a power play goal in Saturday night's game. And then you just kind of fill in the blanks the rest of the way. Marco Scandella can flip around. Justin Falk can flip around. And then your third pairing can be the first and second periods. And then the third period, you shut it down. It's very similar to the strategy strategy that they used in the 18-19 season. And that's why I think you're starting to see the success once again. Are these guys Petro and Bomeister? By no means. By the way, Petro's having a rough start to the season in Vegas. But I do think that this is a new identity that the Blues were looking for, and they're finally cashing in on it. Yeah, I mean, look at this time on ice for Colton Pareko so far this year. 27 minutes, 24, 25, 25, 28, 26 on uh, Saturday against Chicago. He's eating those minutes that you're talking about. And so far, this is by far the most amount of time on ice that he's spent in any season thus far in his career. He had never previously been above 23 minutes, even in terms of the average time on ice this year, he's at 25 and a half. That's what you expected previously out of uh, the number one defenseman on this team. And now you're seeing that out of Colton Pareko. He's healthy and it's made a huge difference And the blues look like the team that we all hoped that they could be. They are now six and one on the season. They're back in action on Wednesday night. Alex Ferrario will have your pregame coverage Wednesday at eight o'clock. It's a late night game in LA can't wait. against the Kings with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Yes. No, we are not going to uh, overlook the fact that I said O'Reilly is the stir that straws the drink. That did happen. Uh, it's been a uh, bumpy ride to start out things yes, today and on I Monday morning. Yes, I said component, not <laughs> proponent. I didn't know the grammar police were here early. Thank you all for making sure I stay held accountable. And I probably spelled it there wrong. It's a long time. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an oh, officially licensed Rolex jeweler. In about 15 minutes or so, I know you've all been waiting for it. It's your latest Ferrari 05. Alex is going to try 
to break down the five best teams in the NFL right now. I don't think there's a more difficult thing to do in all of sports. This was simple. I did this in two minutes last night. Than trying to figure out who the top five teams are in the NFL. It is a wide open field right now. So we'll get into that coming up at 1130. But coming up next, do the Astros have enough to come back again in the World Series? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Last year, we forced a game seven, so now we're down 3-1. Why can't we force a game seven? Again, one pitch at a time, man. Let's go game six. Same mentality. Go out there and fight, and hopefully we can get the this 3-2. A swing and a line drive to left center field for a base hit. Correa with an RBI double, and the Astros are back within a run. Curveball, and it's lined into left field. A base hit for Correa. Altuve can jog home, and it's 9-5. And to 2-2 again, and a swing and a miss. He got him. And the Astros will win it 9-5. to The Astros, the bats wake up. They come to life. They just keep on coming, inning after inning in this one. That's what it sounded like last night as the Astros trying to come back in the World Series. They have forced a game six heading back to Houston. Atlanta up 3-2 to two in this one. Friday night, Atlanta won 2 nothing. Saturday, Atlanta won 3-2. to two. And then yesterday, Houston takes that one in game five by a final score of 9-5. to five. That audio courtesy of ESPN Radio with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, teams that held a 3-1 to one World Series lead have done so 48 times only seven teams came back to win it after being down three to one the last to do so was the Cubs back in 2016 do you think the Astros have enough do they have what it takes to be able to come back in this World Series and actually take down the Braves and give Atlanta yet another um, nightmare performance in a big time game I think if they win this next one then they'll they'll have the comeback officially completed. Like, I, I think the fact that th- I didn't expect Atlanta to close it out in Atlanta because when your backs are against the wall, that's the toughest teams to go up against. I thought they were going to after they went up 4 nothing. For some reason, I just didn't because I expected Houston to make some type of pushback, especially Dusty Baker's comment. What was it? He's like, oh, I remember the Cubs finding a way to win, so magic is real, something like that. Anyway. They we're going to Disney World. <laughs> probably. When they... When they I expected Houston win, to win that one, but now that it's going to game six in Houston, if Atlanta doesn't win that, I don't know if Atlanta can close it out because Atlanta's already gone through this before with the Dodgers last year where they were up 3-1 to one and then mm-hmm. blew it. Dodgers, of course, go to the World Series and win it. Now that you were up 3-1 to one and you've allowed the team to come back in, maybe this is just hockey, but I think it's all of sports that starts to get in the back of your your mind if you're a player, if you're a team, if you have been in this situation before. So I think game six is going to be as pivotal as ever. Pivotal as... Pivotal? <sighs> Talking is very difficult for me today. I think game six is going to be crucial for Atlanta because if not, game seven is going to be going to Houston no matter what. I... I think Atlanta can win it even if they lose game six. And the reason I say that is kind of what you mentioned. You brought up it last year when they blew the 3-1 series lead to the Dodgers. I think that's experience that they've gained. That the, And their leaders are still the ones that are there. Freeman, Albies, uh, you've got Snedker as the manager. I honestly think they're going to close it out tomorrow night. I think they win in six. I, I, I do think, though, that even if they do blow it in game six and they have to go to a game seven, I like their chances. I love the back end of their bullpen. It's been electric. Houston's got a good bullpen, too. 
But I also like the Braves' offense better than the Astros. Astros, really, that was their first game that they've played well in this series. So oh, 100%. I, I think that the Braves will find a way to win it tomorrow, and if they don't, I'll still take them to win Game 7. I think the main reason why people are taking the Braves right now is because of the pitching side of things. It just sets up better for the um, the Braves in the next two games than it does for the Astros. I, I think that's a faulty way of looking at this, though. Given what we've seen so far in the World Series and really in the playoffs as a whole, your starters just, they don't seem to matter all that much. We've only seen, what is it, three games so far or three appearances so far in which the starter went at least five. There have been zero starts so far of a starter going more than five innings in any of these games. I mean, even if they get great starts, the Braves or the Astros, whoever you want to talk about, even if they get a great start in either of the next two games, You've still got half of the game remaining for your bullpen. So that's where this this series is going to be won or lost. And I think that's the lesson that I've learned so far throughout the postseason is just you need so many numbers coming out of your pen. We talked about at the end of the year how we were thrilled that the Cardinals had developed really like six guys that you trusted coming out of the bullpen. You might even need more than that because that seventh or eighth guy coming out of your pen. You're going to see them at some point. They're going to have to get you crucial, crucial outs because these starters just aren't going deep. You mentioned Tanner, the offensive struggles prior to last night for the Astros. Alex, I wanted to ask you this because I know we've talked a lot about the Cardinal struggles in that wild card game and then going all the way back to last year's uh, quick series against San Diego as well. Some of the struggles that they had offensively in that one. Does watching the Astros struggle offensively, again, prior to last night, does that change anything about the way that you look at the Cardinals? Because it's not like the Cardinals is this long history. It's basically four games over the last two years. The three-game series against the Padres, and then um, this year the the one-game set that you had in the wildcard game against the Dodgers. I mean, I'm looking at some of the numbers going into yesterday for the Astros. Alex Bregman was 1 for 14 in the World Series. Yuli Gurriel, who led the league in batting average this season, was 3 for 13. Correa was 2 for 14. Jordan Alvarez was 1 for 11. I know these guys are good hitters, and I know they've done it at the highest of levels. And yet, early on in the uh, World Series, none of them were hitting. Does that change at all the way that you feel about the Cardinals and their their struggles in that one game setting? In terms of looking at them and saying, well, maybe they don't need that impact bat because everyone is going to struggle at some Not point. Not necessarily, but just knowing that maybe Tyler O'Neill is going to be fine in the postseason. He just had a bad game. Or um, maybe Nolan Arenado, he's going to be fine in the postseason, but he's just had a few rough goes of it thus far in his career. Because they still need to add, of course. I think everybody in our audience would agree that they've got to get better, but... I, I do, when I look at some of these numbers from the Astros, like, yeah, there are moments when everybody gets cold. And right now the Astros are cold, and I think there was a, a, a one-game sample where the Cardinals, oh, a few uh, of their bats went cold. A hundred percent, there are moments that, that players get cold, but Alex Bregman has been silent throughout the postseason for the Houston Astros. He's also been really good for them in the past in the playoffs. Well, so. there might be other reasons for that, though. I mean... That's not a good trash can sound. Anyway, no, I, I, I think it actually... It emphasizes more of what I've been saying of, of I want somebody in the offseason who's got a little postseason experience behind them. Because, yeah, you can look at that. You can look at Gurriel. You can look at Bregman and say Tyler O'Neill is going to be fine because these guys are struggling as well. But the difference is those guys have been on the big stage before and they have performed on the big stage. 
this wild card game was Tyler O'Neill's first ever postseason experience. And maybe he gets better from that, but the same with Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado has not had a whole lot of postseason experience due to his time in the Colorado system. So I think watching the Houston Astros offense struggle emphasizes more for me of you're going to need a, a bat that's impactful, but also has probably been there before with a little postseason experience because I, I think the the Cardinals lack that right now. And even with postseason experience, you're still going to falter, but it's something you can fall back on rather than sit there and say, well, it's just lack of experience right now. I'll be honest, the more I've been watching the postseason, the less I'm taking any of it really into reading into what to do in the offseason. And the reason I say that is because, as you mentioned, all these guys that have gone cold out to, he's not hitting the ball well. You've got Correa, uh, Bregman. I mean, as you said, BK, those are all great hitters. I don't know if I'm going to head into the offseason and just be saying, okay, I need a guy that hits in the postseason. If I'm going to do that, it's going to be more at the trade deadline. I think someone that I know has a track record of it. But like, I'm not going to look at it and say, okay, Tyler O'Neill, Nolan Arnado, Paul Goldschmidt, they struggled in the postseason. They need an extra bat to help them out in the lineup. I, I don't really look at it that way. I just think this shows you in the postseason how how unbelievably hard it is because you're getting the best of the best, and you don't see that in the regular season. You usually, like on a, a given night, we played the Braves. Maybe one night the Braves only have their closer available because their two set-up guys have gone uh, the previous night before when they weren't playing the Cardinals. I mean, you're not seeing the best of the best constantly, and that's what you're seeing in the postseason. So Starters are getting pushed. Like, hey, yeah. they yeah. might see the third time through the order in a mid-May series against the Braves, whereas now th- there's zero chance that you're seeing them the third time through the order. I feel like it changes more on the pitching side for me this offseason with the Cardinals than anything. Yeah, I mean, what we're watching right now, it just, for me, reinforces what I had previously thought, where you've just, you've got to find, it's got to be quantity instead of quality. Like, I'm I'm not looking for one guy that's going to make in the bullpen 10 to $15 million per year. I, I want, like, five or six guys that you feel like you could maybe hit gold with one or two of them. And if you do, great, because you're looking at the Braves right now, look at what their bullpen, how it's been constructed. Half of these guys, they got for basically nothing, whether that be money or trades, guys off of wave, <clears throat> waivers, excuse me. That's what the Cardinals need to be looking for this offseason. Um, I I just feel like when I'm looking at the Cardinals' offensive struggles in the postseason, it, I felt this way in the moment, and I, I still feel it now, maybe more so even than before. It was one game. It was one game, and they struggled, absolutely, but... It didn't change at all for me how I felt about the offense. I still feel the same way about Tyler O'Neill that I did going into that game. I thought he had a great year and he had a rough day. And we've seen Tyler O'Neill have a lot of rough days. If they were still playing, if somebody else stepped up, if Nolan Arenado hit a home run in that game and they end up winning it, I think Tyler O'Neill would have had a really good postseason because Tyler O'Neill's a really good player. And eventually he would have found a way to get himself right. Um, I think the same would have been true for a lot of guys. Dylan Carlson, I think, would have had a really good postseason because he's a good player. So for me, what I'm watching right now from the Astros and seeing them all kind of get hot at, at once last night, just reinforced for me that the Cardinals, yes, they definitely need to add because they need to add talent wherever they can find it. Um, but not because of what what I saw in that one game wild card scenario. It it didn't change anything for me at least. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, six five seven eight O Z Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But coming up next, 
The AFC was already wide open, and then today's news hit. And we'll get to a Ferrari 05 with the five best teams in the NFL next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. It was really the most any given Sunday type day that you could have seen. Now, the Lions are still the Lions. Right. But aside from that, I mean, the Patriots go on the road. When the Chargers coming off a bye, they go to SoFi and beat, you know, the formerly red hot Justin Herbert and the Chargers. They, they just shut them down in that game. Like, what's going on here? I don't understand what I'm watching in the NFL anymore. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie, the news that just came in, as you heard from Tanner in the Sports Center update, the Broncos are finalizing a trade that will send eight time Pro Bowl linebacker Von Miller to the L.A. Rams in exchange in exchange. The uh, the Rams are going to give up two second day 2022 draft picks. Did I see that it was uh, two second Wonders rounders, trade. right? Yeah. Um, well, the, Schefter said it's two picks in the second day of the 2022 draft. So, so it's Rams are sending the Broncos a second and third round pick in next year's draft. Um, he just updated that like literally seconds okay. ago. Yeah, so there's phrase are pretty weird. There's where we're at. That is what they're getting. And how are they going to make this work? You may be wondering. Like, I, I thought that wondering. the Rams had no money to spend. Are they, they playing don't. with Monopoly money now? Well, you're right. Uh, as part of the trade, the Broncos are paying $9 million of Vaughn Miller's remaining $9.7 million salary. And they didn't even get a first-round pick for that. We don't have any, okay? We <laughs> well, can't know them. Um, so, basically, the Rams are getting a free Vaughn Miller. And in return, they probably sent more draft capital. So, they probably had to add in that third-round pick for the Broncos. Broncos to be able to take on the $9 million Again, dollars in salary. How? At some point, the Rams are going to be the first ever team in NFL history to go into a draft without a pick. I don't understand. There are don't there have, have to be other teams in the NFL right now that say, man, we could use a Von Miller. We'll give you a first-round draft pick and not ask you it's to pay $9 million. Contract. So he's, he's only under contract for the rest of this year, and then it's over. So you get eight games, basically, out of Von Miller, and they're giving up a second-round pick and re- return for How? that. That's a four-year cost-control yeah, he deal. Won't, he won't be back next year either. I mean, no this chance. is literally a rental, let's go for it all. Yeah, the Rams are the ultimate team right now of, from what I can blank t- the future, we're going to just... I, as, a Rams back fan, to the as a Rams fan, when they enter a rebuild, it is going to be a long rebuild. Trust me. The Rams this upcoming season, or this upcoming draft, will have a third-round pick, a fifth-round pick, all right. In a seventh round pick. Seriously, blank and the future. Nolan, we'll just win this year and figure it out the Nolan rest of McVay, the way. That third round pick's going to be some speedy wide receiver. Let's tave on Austin 3.0. Some five foot seven receiver. Because they, they took their second round pick. I'm thinking, all right, they need help on the offensive line. Maybe a little, maybe some defensive help. And what Sean McVay do this year? He goes, eh, how about Tutu Atwell? What the hell? He doesn't even do anything to the team. It's a great name, Tutu. I don't think this is going to work long term. I think they're going to eventually oh, run man. it. Like, no, it's going to blow up in their face. Ten point. years from now, it's going to be really fun to watch Sean McVay on Monday Night Football. It's going to be great when he's oh, fired and the Rams oh, are winning. Years, I'm giving them five. I mean, the Rams are winning two games a year and they have no draft capital remaining. And yeah. it's just they've shot every asset into the sun for the next decade. Hey. That's going to be pretty rough for Rams fans out in L.A. The Rams can, do, you know, have a defense for the here and now. This is kind of fun. <laughs> 
Yeah, take that, Chiefs. <laughs> take that, Chiefs. I rip on the Rams. I, I find it fun that there's a team well, that's yeah, really going for it on they're every like, single like, year. He's like Walt Jockety of the yeah. uh, NFL. That's going to be go for the most entertaining defense in the NFL playoffs this year. Like, that will be – because for me, Arizona was that team where I'm like, man, I'd like to see what J.J. Watt can do, Chandler Jones on this team. Not anymore. That is the most entertaining defense in the playoffs this year. Yeah, and so far, I would say they've been a little underwhelming on yeah. that side of the ball relative to expectations. But Fawn Miller's breaking news, really good. <laughs> and adding a legit pass rusher uh, next to Aaron Donald is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. So the big news in the day, if you mi- of the day, rather, if you missed it, the Rams are trading a second and third round pick in next year's NFL draft to the Broncos for Von Miller. Uh, the Broncos are going to pay $9 million of Von Miller's $9.7 million remaining in terms of his salary. So that's the way that the Rams were able to make this and work. They're probably not done yet. I know that they need to move to Sean Jackson. Now that's not, re- that's a big name, not really uh, big news. They'll but, get a first round pick in return hey, for that, right? I wouldn't be shocked if they just give up the rest of their draft capital this year for something else. I don't know what. So the Rams just threw an ultimate hook into all of this, BK, because I don't know how to place the Rams anymore. So we were going to talk about the craziness that took place yesterday in the NFL. We will do that eventually. But right now, Alex, I don't know if this changes your Ferrari 05, the five best teams in the NFL, but we tasked you with putting together your top five. Yeah. I don't know how you do it right now in this stupid league. Well, Alex, last night was pretty easy for me, but this throws a huge monkey wrench into it. T-Bone, I'm not even going to be enthused about this. Just hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. All right, so I didn't have the Rams on my Ferrari 05 last what? night. Yeah, I didn't have them on here because I'm thinking a team that barely beat the Lions, a team that lost to the Broncos. Well, that was preseason. That doesn't count. A team that lost to the Cardinals. Did you have the Titans in your top no, five when you made this not last after night? The, not after the Derrick Henry but before news. It, like, when you were making before, this yesterday, you did? Before okay. I did, but then the, the, the Derrick Henry news came out, and I'm like, okay, well, the Titans are going to be non-existent now. Any, and if you this. missed it, Derrick Henry likely out for the rest of the year. Apparently, he broke his foot, and... Yeah, that's bad if you're a running back. So, so I'm changing this now, boys. I'm putting the Rams at number five. Okay. Seems a little low. Well, wait till you hear my top four. Okay. What I had prior to this was the Cowboys four, the Buccaneers five. Okay. Cowboys are going to get taken off of this list now, even after Cooper Rush, because this is what's going to happen. I don't think the Rams are better than the Buccaneers, even with this move. Wait, they beat them. Okay. Yeah, Still I mean, not as good as the Buccaneers. The Bengals also lost to the Jets. Yeah. So well, we know who's better. <laughs> and the Ravens not, lost not to the, the Bengals. This is a catastrophe. So I'm putting Rams at five and I'm moving the Buccaneers up to four here. Call me crazy. That's fine. This is my Ferrari of five. When you get a radio show with BK and have the second name, you, you can have, have your Ferrari of five. No, I don't. BK, BK has his show. Look, Rams are five. Buccaneers are four. Number three on this list. This is where it gets good, boys. Arizona Cardinals. Any arguments there? I'll argue, but I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with it. But I'm serious when I say you could have any of 10, t- 10 teams on this list in any of the spots. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. The only reason I put the Arizona I'm totally serious when I say that too. The only reason I put the Arizona Cardinals there is just because Kyler has looked a little shaky these last couple of weeks, and I'm a little concerned what it looks like down the stretch here. I get it, but I thought they were 
clear cut better than the Cowboys and Buccaneers prior to me putting this list together and then the Rams and the Buccaneers as well. By the way, I hate the fact that I had to take the Cowboys off of this list because Cooper Rush basically looks like a franchise quarterback now. Okay. Anybody let's on relax. board with that one? Let's... Super Bowl Super Bowl bound with Cooper Rush. Let's yeah. Relax. Number two on this Get list, Buffalo Bills. Don't give me the argument of they've got two losses on the season. One was against Pittsburgh. They just didn't even plan for that one. I still think Buffalo is the second best team in the NFL. I think if they can stay healthy, the defense is the biggest con- the concern. But much like the Rams, I would imagine the Bills are going to find a way to exploit the trade market and bring in somebody that can help that. And then number one on this list for me were the, the Green Bay Packers. The fact that the Green Bay Packers won or 7-1 on the season, first loss we all talked about, first game of the season, I think that was just an anomaly. But the fact that they went out and won that game on Thursday without any of their wide receivers, and on top of it, Aaron Jones has just been a monster this season. So I, I think for me, it was clear that Green Bay was number one, and then I just tried to figure out the mess behind them. See, and coming into this week, I'm not sure I would have had Green Bay in the top five. And that's what's crazy about yeah. this season is it's just so erratic. And so you made this list. I think you could have any of these current, these following teams in the top five. And I wouldn't have questioned you, Alex, in just about any order. The Bills, the Ravens, the Raiders, Chargers. I think those are the four teams from the AFC that I could listen to an argument being in the top five. The Cowboys, Packers, Bucks, Cardinals, and Rams from the NFC. Any of those five. So that's nine teams that I think you could have had in there that I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. And then, if not for injuries yesterday to Jameis Winston on the Saints or Derrick Henry on the Titans, you could have included one of those two teams in this list, and I would have understood it as well. Man, can I? This is not me being a homer. I promise you. The AFC is so wide open right now that it will not surprise me if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl. And it has nothing to do with how good they've been because they've been terrible so far this year. Awful. No good. Very bad. They're going to win tonight. They're probably going to win by 10-plus against a terrible Giants team. You think this they has, cover? I have no idea. They, they're, they never cover, I think, but I think they will tonight. Maybe this will play into it. I think I saw it's supposed to rain in the game. Okay. Well, well that's Chiefs. Per, that, the Giants can't play in the rain. Yeah, I'm sure that. It never rains in New York. Um, I, I think they're probably going to lose next week against Green Bay, and then we'll figure it out from there. But the AFC is so wide open, and it is so topsy-turvy among the top teams in the league that any of these teams could make it. I thought yesterday after watching the Titans, you could have come on today and made a strong argument to me that they're the favorites in the AFC. Yeah, I, I would have totally understood it. I think I probably would have agreed with it, in fact. I think I would have had the Titans in place of the Bills if not for the Derrick Henry news. Yeah, and now Derrick Henry's out for the year, and it completely changes the way that I view them as a team. And there's no other running back in the league that does that. No. None. Even Christian McCaffrey, he's a very good player. There's no team that is as wrapped up in any one player in terms of its identity as the Titans are with Derrick Henry. He is the identity of that franchise right now. It's a smash mouth. We are going to run through you, not around you type of a team. And now that's gone. So I, I don't know, man. The AFC is wide open. How would you do this list? If you had, if I had to say top five for both of you, how would you put it together? so much change yet like i would have had the bucks prior to them losing that game i think i would have had them at number one on my list really the best team in the league yeah and then they they just can't play the saints i don't understand it they got swept by the saints last year too with drew Brees having one arm and it was the non-throwing arm that he was able to use so i might still have them at number one honestly 
I could see having the Cowboys right up there, one or two, because if you can win that game with Cooper Rush as your quarterback, that tells me a whole heck of a lot about your supporting cast. And the fact cast. that you lost to the Buccaneers by basically a last second field goal, that's why I had the Cowboys above the Buccaneers, because I think second chance, I think the Cowboys get it done against Tampa yeah, Bay. and I get that. So I would probably go, I think I would go Bucks one, Cowboys two, Packers three. Yeah, I'd have the Packers won. If you're able to win without your top three wide receivers, that tells me something. And your defense has been beat up all year. And, and you take it's away, unfair what I'm doing there. It you is. take away that first game I of the season. I just don't trust their defense. See, that's for me too. But the that. defense has gotten much better. And you take away that first game of the year, you're talking about the same light as the Packers as we've been talking about the Cardinals before that first loss. Yeah. I think I'd have four from the NFC, one from the AFC. I think that's it. I think the one from the AFC for me would probably be the Bills. I think that's right. Yeah, I have four from the NFC and one from the AFC. The AFC is deeper. The NFC, the top, is so much better. Yeah. The elite teams in the NFC, I think, would beat just about any of the elite teams in the AFC. I might even include the Bills on that list. I, They, they just, there's something about that team that I don't trust. I think the... The offense hasn't been as high-powered as it was last year. And they were against the Chiefs. They looked great in that game, and they but looked the Chiefs, good for... Yeah, uh, no, I, I'm with you. Uh, they looked good for a large majority of the game against the Titans, but and they're going to look good against the Jags and the Jets. I, I just don't trust them. I think of the top-heavy teams in the NFC, the two I could see the Bills beating would be, I think, the Cardinals and I think the Buccaneers. Other than that, I don't know if they could beat oh, the others. Well, guys, the I don't six... think they could beat the Bucs. That, they that could. defensive I... line, I think, would give them issues. Uh, and Josh Maybe. Allen throws a couple of weird picks, and you end yeah. up with a. But it was pretty telling me that you lose to the Saints, and to Jameis Winston and Trevor Simeon. So. Guys, the six three six. I wish I would have known this. They had my Ferrari 05. I just didn't ask them. Yeah, it's Rams, Cardinals, Bucks, Bills, Packers. Sorry, six three six. I should have asked good you ranking. for it. That's actually pretty close to what mine would be. I don't I, think that I would have the Cardinals that high. I though. wouldn't. I wouldn't. And frankly, I don't think I would have the Rams that high either. Even with, I mean, the Von Miller trade makes it different, but. What, what's amazing is the thing holding back the Rams is Matthew Stafford. Well, that's the thing. I just Which is hard for it, me. To it is such a shaky offense say. because one week Cooper, Cooper Cup is the best wide receiver in the NFL. The second week he's non-existent and 2-2 Atwell's the guy who's getting passes thrown to him. That's the part that I just can't buy into right now. Defense makes it a lot different, but I mean, they're one injury to Cooper Cup away from being a team that is going to be they on can, the outside looking in. They can survive in. a cup injury. I don't they know can if they can. They a cup injury because Stafford can go to Woods. That's it, though. And we're seeing what the Kansas City Chiefs are dealing with right now with one receiver. I think my five would be the Bucks, Cowboys, Rams, Bills, Packers. I think that would be my five. Man, you still are treating the, the Packers as a team that you just don't believe in. I, I don't trust that defense. I think their offense is going to be good all year long, and I think we saw that in their most recent game. But I don't trust that defense in the long term. I don't think that if you're going up against a team like the Bucks, I don't know how they stop them. Uh, with that with that quarterback and those receivers, I just think that it's going to be a recipe for disaster. But again, I think this is the hardest thing to do in sports right now. It's way easier for me to predict the World Series the rest of the way, which is tough, than it is to pay, figure out who the five best teams are in the NFL. This is as wide open a field as I think it has been since before the Patriots Damn. dynasty existed. I really wish that Derrick Henry didn't get hurt, and that's hard for me to say because the Titans are in L.A. Excuse me, it's an emotional thing for Henry's injury. <laughs> the Titans are in L.A. taking on the Rams primetime Sunday night football this that coming sucks, week. Man. And we won't see what the Titans look like I against know. a top NFC team in the Rams. And we won't get to see what that Rams new defensive front will look like against Who, a who's in the rushing last attack. three weeks. They have destroyed offensively the Bills, the Chiefs and yeah. the Colts. I mean, who's they did everything running back? 
I mean, no, Darrington Evans, I think, is okay. their guy. So, it, so, like, you're probably going to go out and get somebody to help with your back, but it doesn't matter. Like, for me, the only way that they could fix that is they, if they get, a, like, a legit receiving I, running back who could be another threat for them. Hot take, they should go They should go trade for a receiver. You can't be a running team anymore. You just yeah. lost your identity. So I now you've got to become a throwing team, and let's see if they can find a number three receiver. Look at Deshaun Jackson. I, that he might that would actually be a great I, trade for them. One, one person great I was deal. thinking of, yeah. if Denver's going to – because, to me, moving on from Von Miller, Denver's signaling, hey, we're going to kind of tear this apart. Tim Patrick. Tim, go get Tim Patrick. I was thinking running back, but Tim Patrick I was thinking if you want to go get a running back Gordon. that has experience, Melvin Gordon. He might be the perfect guy to Patrick throw into that Steel. system. Go get Patrick for Melvin Gordon. Gordon and Tim Patrick. Yeah. Tim Patrick. We just go. fixed the Titans. They're the Super Bowl champions. By the way, if they do that, they'll still be among the top contenders in the AFC. I don't think I would put them in the top five, even if they were to pull that trade off. In the AFC? No, in, in, on the list okay. that we just did. No, in the AFC, AFC. Yeah. In the AFC, God, they'd probably be the favorite team going the into might it. might be in the top five in the AFC. Okay, let's No, let's, they're not. Let's reel they're that not. in. They're not. Reel that they're in. top ten, barely. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 5780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one from the 618. Hey guys, what'd you think of Mizzou's win over the weekend against Vandy MIZ? Yeah, here they come. Eight wins. Congrats. Beat one of the worst. Eight. Football programs in. Think uh, they're beating Georgia next Saturday. Yeah. What's the point spread? Like thirty four. I think it's thirty nine. Oh yeah, I would totally take oh, Mizzou plus thirty nine. Don't do Have that. Have you seen Mizzou's run game? Yeah, he's awesome. Tyler Beatty's great. And but- now they got a new quarterback. I've also seen what he's been defense. talking about. We'll see. Making bacon. Am I right? He's really good. I've seen him in person. Tyler Bacon. I he saw looks him in good high on Saturday. He's awesome. I mean, he's just making bacon. <laughs> okay. The, the, the first dad joke bacon. was enough. Uh, they're going to get destroyed against Georgia. And that's going to be a dad joke. Just don't don't watch. Don't, <laughs> don't watch, watch on Saturday. Just, just, okay. just tune in next week when I'll, they play the Gamecocks. I'll avoid that game like I avoided Missouri, Missouri Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's the correct way to do this. In fact, I'll, I'll avoid them the rest of the year. They're not very good. I'll watch Illinois. Who's Illinois got? No idea. They lost to Rutgers. Aren't you supposed to be the Illini fan? <laughs> Look, when they lost to UTSA, the playoff hopes were over. Well, yeah, the playoff hopes were over before the season was uh, taking place, my man. Uh, next week, They're Illinois has Minnesota, and it's not going to go. All well. right, let's watch that. Right, we got to rip on somebody on that. Little Coach Bill, we're going to rip on this week. That's Illinois fired up for Penn State. It's a 14 and a half point underdog oh. against Minnesota. They'll cover. No, they won't. <laughs> Who's Kansas got? I don't know. They're the worst team in the country. Whoa! 65780 is the comfort service text line for questions and answers. Hey, is there a correlation, BK, between Mizzou's defense and Kansas City's defense? I don't know, man. Nobody in this state can stop the run. I know that much. From the 618, guys, with Henry and Rodgers... Oh, excuse me. With Henry out and Rodgers looking like he's probably going to end up winning the MVP, who would you have as the best bet to win Offensive Player of the Year? That's a good question because Henry was probably the favorite coming into this week if you thought that it was going to be a quarterback that won the MVP, which typically is. I think Dak. I think Dak. Dak's probably going to get the comeback player of the year. Why can't we give him a OPO? No, you only only get one. Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup might. He might. He's been really good. He had, what, two touchdowns yesterday? Yeah, he has 925 receiving yards so far this season. Um, so Cooper Cup is one to watch. I'd be curious to see what it looks like the rest of the year with Joe Burrow. 
Mike um, White probably. From obviously, the Jets. yesterday didn't go well for he's the great. for the Bengals, but he's been really good so far this season. And if Tom Brady doesn't get the MVP, he very well may get Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah. So those would be a few that T-bone, immediately come to mind for this me. This is a great question for you to answer. Why do the Rams hate draft picks? Yeah, they're kind of overrated. <laughs> two two out. Well, that's why. Yeah. You don't need. Hey, if you're gonna get Vaughn Miller for. Who knows what could be of your draft picks? Les, Go for Les it. Snead just basically said, you know what? Rather than give our, our draft director the, the, the picks to go get another 2-2 at, well, let's just trade them. So probably, we can't they, do that. They probably don't have a scouting director. They don't Snead need them. probably is. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 618. Guys, is the flower growing what pushed the Eagles over the top yesterday against the Lions? You Hell hated yeah. this comment from Sirianni. So now you stupid. have to answer for it. It was so stupid. I was so he mad yesterday. They... They threw 16 passes and completed 11 of them and won 44 to six. Are you kidding me? <laughs> did you guys see? Did you guys see Jalen Hurts's attempt to fake out a defender and throwing the ball? He didn't even like. He, he didn't even throw his arm forward. He just jumped and moved his head. I started Jalen Hurts in fantasy yesterday, and it was one of the all-time bad beats. <laughs> Boston Scott and Jordan Howard combined for four touchdowns. Jordan Howard, the goal line. Jordan Howard was a beast Brutal. in that game. He, he was good for How them. have we not seen him this year? Are the Lions going to end up going 0-17? Man, I really thought that was the week they were going to win. I did too. I picked them. I, <laughs> I did too. <laughs> Jerks. Yeah, I don't think they're winning a game. I mean, do they have any easier games the I, rest of the I way? I just pulled up the schedule because I was curious. At the Steelers next week. Lose. At the Browns. Lose. Bears. Lose. Vikings. Lose. At the Broncos, maybe if they sell out. Cardinals, lose. At the Falcons, lose. At the Seahawks with Russell Wilson at this point, lose. Packers, off Seahawks. I think think they can win two there. What was one of the first? Yeah, the Bears. You saw two wins on the schedule. He probably thought the Bears and the Bears. The Vikings? Uh, the Vikings? No, Vikings. not the Vikings. Yeah, no, not Broncos. Vikings. Broncos. Broncos. Who, was, who else was early in that schedule? There's someone else I thought Browns you saw. or Steelers. I could see them beating the, the Steelers. They couldn't freaking beat the Eagles, and their coach was talking about flowers growing. Look, look, they pulled out all the trick plays against the Rams. They had nothing left. Now the trick plays can kind of recycle, work look, on them. Look. You can beat Big Ben. Guys, no. Big Ben's terrible. He just won. Well, their team won. Remember another when we talked about it's a team stat when you I'm win? I'm done with these team <laughs> stats we're coming up with. Just stop it already. <laughs> team stats like wins. Plus Just minus. stop it New already. Concept. Just stop it already. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. We just saw what the Blues looked like without Ryan O'Reilly. Could we go ahead and make this get this over with as quick as possible? Because I never want to see that again. Hmm. We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, last night gave us another, or excuse me, Friday night gave us another moment to argue about starting pitching and what you should do when your starter is about to go through the order for the third time. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Anderson has been very good tonight. 0-2 on the way, change up, got him. Strike three called on the outside corner. And if it is the end of the night, what a night it was for Ian Anderson. That's what it sounded like as the Braves took game three behind Ian Anderson's very impressive start. He ended up going five innings. Alex did not allow a hit 
in that game against the Astros. And that's where the controversy begins because people were very upset to see Ian Anderson leave the game after 76 pitches, five innings of a no-hit bid. And here's what Xavier Scruggs had to say on ESPN about what he thought about the decision to take Ian Anderson out in that spot. You have to remember he had three walks. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't necessarily super dominant with the strikeout and swing and miss. And he had been at, um, I think it was 70, 76 pitches at the time. So I think that's a that's an important thing to remember is the Braves relievers are able to cut down the, the starting pitching and how much they have to throw. So that's what it sounded like from Xavier Scruggs via ESPN Radio. Alex, he makes a really good point there, and that's something that I think has been lost a little bit in the discussion about Anderson leaving that game. He had thrown 76 pitches, and 39 of them were strikes. He had walked three batters and hit two guys. He was effectively wild. And if you're going to go through that and trust it the third time through the order, more power to you. But the chances of it working out for you are slim. And at that point in time, if it was seven to nothing Braves over the Astros, I bet you they leave him in. It wasn't. It was one to nothing at the time. They had zero margin for error, and they were trying to go up in the World Series in that moment. They felt good about where their bullpen was, and it ended up working out for them. I had no issue with the decision. In fact, I thought it was the absolute correct decision. What were your thoughts when you saw Ian Anderson leaving the game after five innings well, of no hit bid? First, for me, it felt like while I was watching a John Gant game. With all of the walks and then the strikeouts, I'm thinking, man, you are playing with fire right here. Bad memories. (laughs) Brought a little PTSD that went with it. But honestly, I didn't have any issue with it either. And frankly, I don't know how individuals can have a problem with it, considering that they won that game, giving up two total hits in the ballgame. Like, I understand it's frustrating when you got a guy who's throwing a no-hitter in five innings. But like you said, BK, this is the World Series where you're trying to take the lead. This isn't a, a August game that doesn't matter against a non-division opponent. So I didn't see any problem with this. The Atlanta Braves bullpen had been good in the playoffs overall. And watching Ian Anderson walk, walk off the mound, I'm thinking, okay, you got a lead. Your pitcher did his job. Now let the bullpen do its work. And frankly, the problem should be more on the offense, not getting more runs for Ian Anderson so that he could have stayed in the game a little bit longer. Yeah, but it's a World Series and that happens and you expect it. And they were able to pull that one out two to nothing. Here's what it sounded like after the game when Snicker was asked why he decided to make the move he did. He wasn't going to pitch a nine inning no hitter. He wasn't going to have pitches to do that. Yeah. You know, and I told Ian, I said, Ian, I'll be honest with you. You're, you know, he was... And one of the things was he's thrown a lot of pitches at the top half of that lineup, getting ready to go back out when he did. I thought the fourth inning, he had he really had to work to get through that. He had a really good fifth inning. Um, and then I told him, because he was like, are you sure? Are you sure? You know. Um, but I was just like, Ian, I'm just I'm going with my gut right here. And, and um, I don't know. I mean, it, it could have backfired, I guess. BK, the manager, went with his gut, and it turned into a victory. Yeah, except for his reliever said, the guys in the front office, Snicker, everybody's gone over that situation a few times for what the game script is for us for this whole thing. Obviously, the game script ended up being right. The script, the script was his gut. Apparently. So I, I did find that very interesting that he said afterwards, yeah, I went with my gut. And then the reliever who came into that spot next said the guys in the front office, comma, Look. Snitker, everybody had gone over it a few times with the game script leading into that Look, one. Because okay. I don't know if you've ever been. An, right. I don't know if you've ever been an actor in your life. But sometimes you can be handed a script and they can say, follow it to the T. And then you say, you know what? I'm going to go with my gut here and I'm going to do a little improvisation. And then it turns into a 
award-winning show because you can go with your gut every once in a yeah, while. that's where the Oscar-worthy uh, speech comes that's from, where, right? That's Always. where old school happened. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, this one felt a little scripted. Like, hey, you're not going to see them the third time through the order because that lineup, uh, while at that point in time they had been struggling, it's among the most dangerous lineups in all of baseball. It's part of why they're in the World Series, of course. So it made all the sense in the world for him not to go back out there for the sixth inning. I do think there's a lesson to be learned here for the Cardinals in, in a number of different ways. One is that quote from the reliever who came in afterwards. Yet yeah, that's what the Cardinals are trying to accomplish moving forward. They would like to have those meetings with the front office and the manager where they go through those scripts and then the script is followed uh, accordingly. You can like that or dislike it. I get both sides of it, but that's where the Cardinals would like to be, where they've got some of that buy-in from their manager as well. The other thing is uh, the Braves are winning with their bullpen, and they're winning with a cheap bullpen. Will Smith is expensive, about $10 million. He's per the- movie. <laughs> Dad joke. You got it, T-Bone. He's the only that reliever that they have making more than like $5 million. The other guy is Chris Martin. He's the only one making more than $2 million. Everybody else is on entry-level entry level deals. So they're between a million and $1.5 million, basically, is the entire rest of the Braves' bullpen. Alex, when you look to the offseason for the Cardinals, and we it's a copycat league, right? You're always trying to learn from the teams that are still playing after you are. The thing to learn from these teams is just get as much pitching as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And yes, I know everybody understands that inherently to be true. Watching the postseason this year, this is a battle of attrition. I mean, it, it really is. How many pitchers did you have that you trusted? Because some of them very well might make their major league debuts in the World Series. Like that's that's where we're heading right now with the game is all of these guys are seemingly dropping like flies. So just get a bunch of them and don't overpay for any of them. I don't want to see the Cardinals wading into the waters this offseason of the 10 plus million dollar reliever. It just doesn't make sense for the way that they're constructed. Yeah, but you got to get guys who can throw strikes. Absolutely. I think that's going to be the most important thing. And that's what I've noticed about this Atlanta Braves pitching staff from the bullpen side. I mean, they don't use a whole lot of pitches to get through their games because they're just going directly at the hitters. And we saw that be able to right the ship for the Cardinals this season when they brought in Garcia, when they brought in McFarlane, when you brought in guys like in the rotation, Lester and Happ and, and LeBlanc, go cheap. Don't spend money like you did on Brett Cecil and Andrew Miller and trying to pay guys for what they've done in the past. But more importantly, you just got to get guys who are, aren't afraid to go at hitters and know with a knowledge of the defense that is going to be performing behind them. Yeah, so I, I looked at a list last night of the relievers that are going to be available this offseason. Here's some of the names. This is the kind of market that I think the Cardinals should be playing in this offseason. Brad Boxberger. Archie Bradley, Archie Chris Bradley. Martin, Great beer. Joe Smith. There are a lot of others that fit into that same criteria. John but Doolittle. yeah, it, those are the types of guys that you could get for maybe a couple million bucks on the on the expensive end. That's what I want to see them going out there. But how do you weigh the the possibilities of going after guys like that, like a Sean Doolittle, who might be taxed at this point in Absolutely. his career? Because Sean Doolittle was used so much in that World Series run with the Nationals. Are you, and again, if he's cheap, that's great. But I would imagine he's not going to be like the cheapest. He's not going to be Atlanta Brave style where it's a million dollars or less. It might be one to two. 
Bart, are you willing to take a chance? Because we've talked about taking chances on starting pitchers that might not be 100% healthy. Clayton Kershaw, Noah Syndergaard. Are you willing to do that with bullpen pitchers? Yeah, because it's going to be cheaper. Like when you're talking Noah Syndergaard, we're talking about a potential 10 to $15 million pitcher that you're just banking on him returning to form next year. For these guys that we're talking about, especially the over-the-hill players that are in their mid-30s and probably latching on for one, two, maybe three more years at the back end of their careers, uh, these are guys that you could probably get for one to two, maybe $3 million. And if you go out there and get three, four, or five of them and only two of them work out, that's fine. Yeah. Even if you had to DFA the other couple that don't end up working out, whether that means they go down to the minor leagues for you or they just end up pitching for somebody else next year, no harm, no foul. It was worth the lottery ticket to be able to go find out if you could find somebody. This is the TJ McFarland, uh, Justin Miller, Luis Garcia. This is that route. That's that's the route that they should go in the offseason and just try to find as many as they can that might be able to bounce back for them in, in St. Louis or that they saw something from in 2021 that can carry over into 22. And if you're able to get two, maybe three of them that end up hitting, boom. That, that that's a Yahtzee and you, you go into next year feeling great when you add that into what you already have with some of your young guys. And not only that, you have to kind of find a nice balance of we need strikeout guys. We need a guy that can get the ground ball. We need maybe that lefty that maybe maybe he doesn't pitch as well against righties, but we want him against the left handed matchups. You need to find some of those. And another thing, too, in my opinion, find guys with different arm angles. I, I think that's something that goes underlooked in Major League Baseball. I mean, you look at the Tampa Bay Rays from two years ago, and I think they had this last year, too. They showed, I remember in the World Series, like yeah, the, the graphic of the, the graphic arm of angles. Early, every pitcher had a different arm angle. And I, maybe it's like I'm, a clock. They, they yeah. put it together, and it was a clock. It was basically from 9 to 3 o'clock and every angle in between. And maybe, cool. I, maybe I read too much into that, but I think there is something into kind of having these different deliveries that are deceptive in the arm release, and you got the guy that can strike guys out. you got ground balls, the specialist against lefty and righties. I think you need to find that balance this offseason with those guys that you're kind of talking about, BK. I think that's a team stat. <laughs> Might be. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get into some more NFL rapid reactions coming up at 12:30. But next, we just saw what it looks like when the Blues play without Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, let's not do that again anytime <laughs> in the near future. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. We all got to see what it looked like. We were curious. We hadn't seen it in his entire time here in St. Louis. I didn't like it. Ryan O'Reilly was out on Saturday night. It was the first time that we had seen what that looks like, Alex, because he had not missed a single game since being traded to the St. Louis Blues. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Second time uh, that we have seen it. It was the first extended stretch. That's what I was going for, of course. Yeah, I knew Uh, we were. Without Ryan O'Reilly... We knew that he brings everything, right? He's the guy that plays the 200-foot game. He's on the penalty kill. He helps you on the power play. Every single aspect of the Blues game, he's a big piece of. And we we didn't know what, what it's going to mean to be without him. It's just not the same roster without him out there. And, Alex, if I had to take anything away from this, I, I was curious who the most indispensable player was for the Blues coming into this season. I think the answer is Ryan O'Reilly. Given what he brings to the table and how much he impacts literally everything that you do and how important he is, by the way, for David Perron, who does not look like the same guy without O'Reilly in the Mm -hmm. lineup. I think he's the guy. 
I, I think if you were to ask me today, who is the mo- most indispensable player for the Blues, the one that they just can't lose, and if they did, things would go south the most because that player is out, I think it is Ryan O'Reilly. Really? Even yep. after the season we saw last year with no Colton Pareko, and you believe that if they lost Jordan Bennington, that they would be able to keep their head above water. I think it'd be tough. I mean, goalies are always the, the probably the right yeah. answer in a conversation Farley, like this. But if we're talking, man. if we're no, talking skaters, yeah, Son I think I would take O'Reilly over yeah. Pareko because I think the answer at at defense, you could still figure out what to do with Falk in that spot. It's different. I, I'm not saying that Justin Falk is Colton Pareko. He's not. Yeah. But he has played so well this year that I think you you could find a way to battle through it. And I also think they've got a guy down in the AHL with Scott Perunovich who might be able to to get called up and be a part of that third pairing. Yeah, I, I, okay I think I still lean a little bit towards the Colton Pareko side of this one as being probably the most indispensable one, mostly because you're putting Tory Krug in a bad, bad spot. And we saw what that would look like last year where he's trying to be a shutdown guy. But I see where you're coming from. Here's the thing with Ryan O'Reilly. Individually, it hasn't been as much of a impact as you'd think it was. Faceoffs was one of my Ferrario fives when you lost them. They've they been won- good in that area. Yeah, they've won both faceoffs. Dakota Joshua against the Avalanche won five of five. So, like, those have been actually pretty good. The penalty kill has been superb without Ryan O'Reilly. They gave up one power play goal against the Avalanche. I'm not trying to push back against your point, BK, because overall, we've seen it. It's a lot sloppier of play without yeah, Ryan that's O'Reilly. The thing is, I. You know, I'm the numbers guy, right? I don't think there's a number that shows you what his impact is on these well, games. Well, team stat, win. And, and they did win. But then they um, lost. I understand. But huh? on on Saturday, they did win. I also wonder how much of that is just because they played against the Blackhawks. You know, like, if they ended up, if, if instead of it's Chicago of on Saturday night, you were playing against one of the top contenders in the NHL, I do think that goes a little differently for you. Look, if you have Patrick Kane in that game against you're playing the Blackhawks and they had Tyler Johnson, I, I think you might be talking about a different outcome just because of how good their power play has been and you gave them three or four power play opportunities. Here's the thing about Ryan O'Reilly's loss. They've never had to deal with this before. And right. that's the part that I'm I'm sitting here wondering, could you adapt to something like this? Because every time you lose an impact player, it takes a little of adjustment, right? Because the coach always talks about oh, everyone's got to step up and you're taking everyone's role a little bit higher because you're losing that player. They're still looking for line chemistry. And when you take Ryan O'Reilly out, it's a trickle-down effect. Shen's off of his line with Kairou and Buchnevich, which was one of the best lines to start the season against Colorado. You're taking Tyler Bozak off of the fourth line, which has taken a hit, although their fourth line I thought was pretty good against the Blackhawks the other night. I think Joshua Costin and Clifford had nine shots on goal against Chicago, but you're you're affecting every other line. And then you're taking guys off the are you're putting guys on the ice more than what you're used to with Ryan O'Reilly. Because somebody's got to play an extra two, three minutes, which is going to put fatigue on that side, and you're not going to have the impact that you've had. So where I'm going with this is you've had the individual stats, which actually have been impressive without Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. Penalty kill, face-offs, you're still winning hockey games. But there is a massive impact in terms of locker room chemistry and chemistry on the ice that's hard to fix. But time over time, if you're playing these next three games on the road or four games on the road, if O'Reilly's not able to play in any of those, maybe you start to see a little bit more chemistry building without him. Uh, Somebody on the text line makes a really good comp. They said from the 618, I agree that the team doesn't look the same without Ryan O'Reilly. 
it's not one for one, but it does remind me a little bit of the Cardinals outfield defense without Harrison Bader being in there. That's a good one because yeah, the really Cardinals were still they were winning games. They were playing well at times, especially early on in the season without Harrison Bader in the lineup. But it wasn't the same crisp, clean play that you saw down the stretch when Harrison Bader was one of the best defenders in the sport. And that's the thing for me with with what the Blues look like right now. They're still a really good team and they played all right overall against Colorado and against Chicago. You ended up still being able to pull out the win. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't look as crisp on a play to play basis as it did with Ryan O'Reilly out there. And that's the impact that he has. And this goes back to the conversation that we have all the time about Ryan O'Reilly is that, yeah, I understand maybe numbers wise, he doesn't have the same statistics as some of the best players in the league. But when you watch him on a night in night out basis, you start to appreciate the finer, finer things about his game. Uh, Jamie does a great job with some of the video breakdowns that he does for Valley Sports Midwest. And I remember last year he would do some. He broke down Ryan O'Reilly's defense and some of the things that he would do with his stick. Or it was like just a a little play that for me as a casual observer, I didn't even notice that O'Reilly had done it in the moment. But he goes back and he's like, this potentially saved a goal. And that's the stuff over the course of the game. When you make 5, 10, 15 of those plays, that adds up over time. And so, yeah, in one game, maybe we didn't notice it. Maybe it didn't impact the overall game score. But over the course of the next two or three, it very well could. And so getting out in front of this, I I think that I've learned, and maybe I should have known this beforehand, and that's fair. But for me, he has even more impact on the on the bottom line of what this team is long term than mm-hmm. even I expected it. Yeah, to be. well, and, and to that outfield point, I think it's interesting because, you know, the outfield, like you said, they're still winning games, but you're seeing more errors take place or you're seeing balls missed that probably should have been caught. Blues have won a game. They lost a game, but it was a one goal game against Colorado. But look at how many goals they scored in those compared to what they did in the first few games when Ryan O'Reilly's on the ice. So the comps there, I don't know if the offense is going to be the same without Ryan O'Reilly because you're trying to get more offense from individual lines. You can't roll four lines like you usually do. You're going to score maybe two, three, maybe one goal a game. You're going to rely more on your defense and more on your goaltending without Ryan O'Reilly, whereas there's a little bit more comfort factor for guys to play that north-south style because they're more worried they're going to make a mistake without O'Reilly on the ice. Which game do you think that this is going to impact them in the most over the next few? Because it's it's four games that he's going to be out, correct? It's the uh, Well, the- it was 10 days. You would imagine four games, but Curb said on the broadcast, and maybe Curb's know something that I don't. I'd have to ask him a little bit more, but Curb said he doesn't believe O'Reilly's playing on this road trip at all. Okay, because he can't I, go with them on this road trip well, in, in, in Winnipeg too. Potentially going up going to Canada. Canada. I don't know how, what the rules are and right also, now. Also, too, maybe it makes sense a guy that keep what, him back here, keep him back here, and maybe start getting if there's any kind of after effects, get him kind of a little bit get back in game shape. Because look yeah. at Brandon Sod. Brandon Sod skated for the first time on Saturday, but they said they're play. just kind of trying to get him ready for Wednesday's game. So I would imagine my gut would tell me that. O'Reilly will not play on these four games, and his first game would be that first game back at home, which I believe is next Thursday. Yeah, it would be Thursday the 11th against Nashville would be the next one that's that's back here at home. Is there anything adjustment-wise that you saw from what they play, how they played against uh, Chicago that you'd like to see change potentially on Wednesday night against I, L.A.? I'd like to see them to get back to what they played in the first games with O'Reilly in the lineup of more of the north-south style. I thought they got away from it against Colorado and Chicago, where it was it wasn't the dump the puck in and go after it and play heavy 
it was more of skate in, take a shot, and then try and create offense. There were so many one-and-dones against Marc-Andre Fleury, and he left rebound after rebound after rebound out there. The Blues just didn't have any second and third cycling chances. So I think if you're going to correct something, you got to find a little line chemistry, and you got to start to try and get more of those second and third opportunities without O'Reilly. Is there somebody you want to see step up in the next couple of games? And the reason I ask that is the first name that kind of comes to mind is Braden Shen. He's got a goal, but his faceoff percentage is around 50%, and he's yeah. only got two shots in the last two. I, I think Shen's one of them. I think you got to start to build some chemistry. And look, I think it's going to be a really benefit for this Blues team if Brandon Saad is back on Wednesday because Saad's going to play with Shen and Perron, I would imagine. Then Kairou goes back down, and he skates with. They had Dakota Joshua skating on that second line the other night with Buchnevich yeah. because they liked the way he played. You need If it's not Shen T-Bone, it's got to be the guy who's playing that second-line center role because Thomas Tarasenko and Barbashev have been awesome. Fourth line is going to be your fourth line. I need somebody to step up in that second-line center role to create a secondary scoring option rather than relying on Thomas Tarasenko and Barbashev. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues are back in action on Wednesday night against the Kings. Alex will have your pregame coverage for that one late-night game. Pregame starting at 8 o'clock. You also hear the Last Minute Blues podcast Wednesday night at Six Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. David Pagnotta coming up at 1 o'clock. But next, time for some NFL rapid reactions. Which upset that happened yesterday surprised you the most? The Steelers, the Jets, the Patriots, or the Saints winning? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL rapid reactions. Alex, which upset surprised you the most yesterday? Was it the Steelers taking down the Browns, the Jets, and of course, Mike White, who I knew of certainly before yesterday. No, you didn't. The Patriots who beat the Chargers or the Saints over the Bucks? Which team surprised you the most with their win? I'll stop you there. It's the Jets over the freaking Bengals. Did Cincinnati just basically say, ha, it's the Jets. They can't do anything. They don't even have their quarterback. That was a bad loss for Cincinnati. And I freaking backed the Bengals last week saying they might actually be a a playoff contending team after their victory over the Ravens. And then they lay that egg. Yeah, that is the worst upset of the week. Yeah, I'm with you. I did not see that one coming. The backup quarterback. Two wins this year against the Titans and the Bengals. Like what? That's that's, that's a, weird. They lost there to was, the Falcons and Broncos and beat the Titans and the Bengals. There was one percent of people that picked them on the 101 ESPN Pick'em Challenge. Yeah, that that one was surprising, especially because you bring in that backup quarterback, like you said, BK, had no idea, A, who the backup was going into the game, and then B, when I found out who it was, had no idea where he went to college. Western Kentucky, my friend. I wonder why I didn't know where he went to college. So that one has to be the most surprising. I think the Saints one's up there for me too, though, because as much as I backed them in the preseason, boy, they've been pretty disappointing. And then they go out there and they beat up on Tom Brady. They still win the game without Jameis Winston. I think that one's right up there with me for the Jets as well. Yeah, that was stunning. I I mean, my most surprising one, it was clearly the Jets over the Bengals, but the Saints over the Bucks, I just didn't see coming, especially after J- uh, Jameis ended up getting hurt. If you would have told me before that game, the Saints would throw for 210 yards. Alvin Kamara would have just 60 yards on the ground. What's the formula here for them to beat the Bucks? I don't know, like, well, their defense must have held the Bucks to like 10 points, which I don't know how that happens, but I'm guessing that's the way that it happened. No, they scored 36, 36 points. 
Their quarterbacks combined for 200 yards through the air. I still don't totally understand what I watched yesterday in that game, but that was behind the Jets, which was stunning. That was the most surprising one to me was the Saints taking down the Bucks yet again. Now three straight uh, regular season performances against the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. All right. The Titans beat the Bills, Chiefs, and Colts in three straight weeks. They scored at least 27 points in all three of those games, and they've scored 132 points combined in their last four games. <laughs> Prior to, of course, the Derrick Henry injury, did you view them as being the team to beat in the AFC? 100% I did. They were the best team in the AFC before the Derrick Henry news. Because they beat the Bills, who I think was the second or was the best team in the AFC. Frankly, I believe that the Titans, they didn't match up against the Ravens yet this year. But I believe the Titans win that game. They were the clear-cut favorite. I mean, and everything surrounded Derrick Henry. I'd be really curious to find out, PK, out of those 132 points, how many of those were scored by Derrick Henry? Because I would imagine at least half of those points came from their running back. So... As soon as the news broke, and I believe they said, what, it's six to ten weeks, which is essentially their season, yeah. correct? They're, they, I mean, they dropped off, in my opinion. I don't even know if they're a playoff team still in my eyes unless they fix that that hole, which I don't know if you can. I think they're still a playoff team because they'll win the AFC South. I don't see the Colts catching them. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think heading into yesterday and after yesterday before knowing the news of Derrick Henry, I think they were the best team in the AFC because they could run the ball if they had to. Their defense had been playing well of late. And then, of course, then you have the weapons at wide receiver with uh, Julio Jones and you've got A.J. Brown. I mean, they felt like the best team in the AFC. And then this news just kind of sinks that ship. It's a bummer, man, because they were they're they're going about it in a different way than the rest of the league. It almost reminds me a little bit. It's different, of course, because they don't have Lamar. It reminded me a little bit of the Ravens early on in the Lamar Jackson experience where it's like, hey, we are all in on running the football. Mm-hmm. And now the Ravens have become a lot more balanced and Lamar has improved as a as a passer. And that team looks like a legit threat in the AFC. But the Titans were just a smash mouth football team that was going to win behind Derrick Henry running the ball 30 times a game. And A.J. Brown being a stud on the outside and Julio coming up with a few big plays and boom, you're able to win with the play action passing over the top. And now it's just gone. That's what sucks, man, is watching them was just such a it was a throwback team. Yeah, it reminded me of watching the Titans in the early 2000s with uh, Eddie George. And now now that's gone. So that's a bummer. All right. Next thing up as we go through some NFL rapid reactions. Did the Cowboys win last night with their backup quarterback against the Vikings? Tell us more about the Vikings <laughs> or the Cowboys. I think it told us more about the Cowboys. I mean, the Vikings have surprised me. They've been a lot better than what I expected, but uh, you know, there are times where they look like a team that just is completely off their offensive chemistry. But look, winning that game with Cooper rush tells me more about the Cowboys because that offense is elite. And, and you can take Dak Prescott out and the offense is still going to be able to compete in games and win. But you put Dak, Pre- Dak Prescott in there, it's going to be tough for a lot of defenses to shut them down. Dallas's defense has been impressive to me, too. So I, I think I learned more about Dallas in that game than I did the Vikings. See, I think I learned more about the Vikings because I, I thought heading into that game, Dallas still could win without Dak Prescott. And I knew the offense was elite. 
I thought the defense wasn't going to learn much from that game because I don't think Minnesota's offense is that good. I think Kirk Cousins overrated at quarterback, as I've said multiple times, and I'm still going to stick with that. Same. I think that offense is not very good, and they proved it again last night. Their defense is fine, but I don't think that defense holds the Cowboys to, what was it, 16 points or whatever? Yeah, 20. If, if, yeah, 20 if Dak's at quarterback. So I, I think I learned that Minnesota, they may sneak into the playoffs, but they're not a legitimate threat. I don't think they're going to sneak in at this point. I think they needed to win that game yesterday for them to be yeah. able to get in. And the fact that the Saints won over the Bucks, I think that pretty much solidified the, the Vikings being out. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for them to have a path forward to the postseason. I think I learned more about the Vikings as well. You had to win that game. You did. You were healthy. You had Dalvin Cook back in the mix. You had all of your receiving options out there, and you weren't able to beat a Cowboys team that had Cooper Rush a quarterback. You couldn't stop him, and that's one of the underrated storylines of the season for the Vikings. Their defense just isn't very good, and they used to be the team that had all of the corners. When Xavier Rhodes was their top guy, They had every year it seemed like they were drafting another corner in the first round, and now they have basically none that you trust. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the underrated storylines for them. I'm very curious. You said at the beginning of the year, you felt like Mike Zimmer could be one of the first coaches fired. Yeah. You might not have been off board with that. I think it's in play that this is the last year that we see Zimmer as the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Isn't I don't know a, if that'll prove to be the right decision, but isn't he a defensive minded coach too? Yeah. And that's, what's weird. Yeah. That's, that's part of the reason why I think it is going to be such a hot seat for him because it's like, Granted, their defense is not what it was a few years ago when they were pushing for a a world or a a Super Bowl. But I I just, if you're a defensive-minded coach, and I understand they don't have a lot of weapons, but like, there's just no defense there for it's it's really bad right now next thing up as we go through some of the nfl rapid reactions from yesterday the action that was this is now the first time in the 32 team era that one conference had its top six teams enter the week seven games with at least two losses there were none of the top six teams in the afc coming into this week that had fewer than two losses so it's as wide open as it's been do you guys like it this way do you guys prefer watching the league where there's no like obvious clear cut top contenders and you have a lot of teams that you could view by the end of the season potentially coming out of that conference for betting purposes? I hate it because <laughs> like this past week really blanked me up in terms of betting. But Let's check the standings here. It looks like Alex Ferrario is one and two Tanner Hendrickson one and two. And who is that at the top of the leaderboard? Oh, he, you pushed on BK two games with a three and oh, you pushed on two games. Absolutely not. That's it. I'm double checking this because I looked at it. I last don't know how night. you push on two and a half or 18 and a half and Michigan State winning outright seems like a uh, I bet that probably covered I as well. Went one and two. There must be <laughs> no, you went one and two. Issue. Believe me, I, I, so. I saw that there. But I love it, frankly, because it, it creates each week's more interest. And, and once you get closer to the playoffs, that's where it really kicks in for me. Because the more open it is, the more playoff possibilities there are where it's going to be win or go home. And those games are usually the best. And then once we get to wild card week, man, that's going to be really entertaining. So I personally love it. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I love it. I love the chaos of not knowing who's more than likely going to get into the uh Super Bowl. That's why I kind of have trouble getting into the NBA because I usually have an idea of the top two teams and I know what's going to happen. I love it this way because, like you said, you get the playoff ramifications at the end of the year. The playoff games feel like they're even more intense because they're pretty evenly matched. I think this is better for the NFL rather than having the potential of a dynasty again in the Chiefs. I love this as well, and I say that as a Chiefs fan. This would be your matchups right now if the season ended today in the postseason. Give them to me. The Raiders would be your number two seed in the AFC. Holy 
taking on the number seven seeded Chargers. The number three seed would be the Ravens taking on the Steelers. Oh, that's and the 4-5 four, <laughs> matchup would be the Bills and the Bengals. And then the number one seed as of today is the Titans. And who's not in there? The Chiefs oh. and the Patriots and the Browns. Okay, well, the Patriots weren't going to be in there and the Browns. <laughs> the Patriots might sneak in. They're playing really well. Yeah, that defense, man, it's, it's legit. And the offense is getting better. Mac Jones, you said it. You thought that he would be the first one out of this rookie class to win a Super Bowl. I don't know if I'm there, but... He's looking pretty good. Out of those guys, he's probably been the best thus far. I can tell you who won't win. Charlie Lawrence. Zach Wilson. Oh. Oof, boy. Lost yeah. his job. He just lost his job to a man named Mike White, which I think is an alias because he doesn't want to give his real name because he's playing for that the That was job. for sure a Madden creative player yeah. name. He's in witness protection. In the NFC, as of today, it would be the Cardinals versus the Panthers. Ugh. That's the only one that eh, not a whole Why? lot of interest. I don't yet. even want to see that. Cowboys versus the Saints and the Bucks versus the Rams again. Cowboys versus Saints Son would be good, and Bucks, Bucks versus Rams, Rams would be good. Four or five? Are you kidding me? Bucks that would Rams, be incredible. Bucks Rams sucks because one of those teams, like that's a that, championship game. That is not what I want as a Rams. That's like that reminds me of when the Pacers would always they'd be really good to get to the playoffs. Aren't and who you feeling they confident because you got Von Miller? No, it's why? Tom freaking Brady. Yeah, That's I feel, why. I feel like, like this little Bron freaking James for the pace going against the Pacers. But better. Year. I feel like Much this better. is the difference. Like we just saw it with those matchups that we we're talking about between the NFC and the AFC. The NFC, it's like, man, any of those five teams at the top. Wow. Those are really good. The AFC, it's like, man, you could even get to like eight, nine and ten and you feel pretty good about those teams. Not as Super Bowl contenders necessarily, but it's just so much deeper. The AFC has the depth. The NFC has the top five that you um, can write home about. So I, I prefer it this way. I think this is a hell of a lot of fun. I don't know what I'm going to watch any, any weekend because you could see something where the saints sneak up and beat the box, but you, you get to the end of the season and it makes it a lot more fun as we get into these playoff pictures and the scenarios, uh, where you could figure out who's going to be at the top of the AFC right now. The Titans are at the top of the AFC and three weeks from now, they very well may be the sixth seed. That's how quickly things can change in this league. All right. In about 15 minutes or so, David Pinata is going to join the show to talk about what he heard from Gary Bettman earlier today. He had his press conference with the media. I also want to ask him about the latest with the Jack Eichel sweepstakes. Apparently the Vegas Golden Knights might be interested in him again. How? So we'll talk to him about that and what his thoughts are early on this season about the Blues coming up in 15 minutes. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with B. K and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. David Panyota coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Want to ask him about the latest news around the NHL and also get his thoughts on the blue start to the season. But Alex, let's dive into the junk drawer. What do you have for us today, my man? So I need help with this one, boys. And text line, please help us here. Comfort service text line 65780. So last night was the first Halloween we did at our house where we sat and we handed out candy. My wife, my parents came over. We sat on the driveway with a little fire pit. Kids coming by. It was it was fun getting to meet a couple people in our neighborhood. But then we had this one. Did you wear your headphones? While they were coming by? You did, didn't you? It was a really jerk comment, man. No, I was a really fun neighbor, and I was talking to people. Okay. Thank you very much. I don't believe you. Checking. So there was this one group that came by. It was a couple, and then their kid, who looked like he was about 15 or 16 years old. So he came up, 
said the whole trick or treat thing. So I gave him a scoop of candy. And then he had basically a costume on, but it was a two sided mask. So he had, I don't know, it was like this gore, gory rabbit on the front side. And then on the back, it was like a vampire. So he gets the candy and he turns around with his other mask looking at me and he says, trick or treat part two. Am I supposed to give him candy again? Absolutely. That's smart. That's clever. I, I respect, respect I respect the hustle. 100% you got to give him extra. Yeah, if a I, kid asks you for extra candy, you give them extra candy. It, you can't be serious right now. Yeah, he was 15 years old. What's the cutoff, first of all, of trick-or-treating? I thought it was like 13. Was he with anybody else? He was with his parents. Was he with it? Like, no, it was just him. Uh, seems a little old, but I mean, I think he, maybe he just looked a little older. I mean, I almost came to your house dressed up. Tanner would have passed for a 12-year-old. Tanner, so I would have given you all of the candy because <laughs> I'd have been like, oh, there's this cute little girl. That for next year. Whoa. <laughs> cute little 12-year-old. Cute little 12-year-old um, girl. No, I, I think you got to give him the extra candy. Well, even the, if he's 15, like, it's, it's Halloween, man. People can have fun with it. Not to steal candy. Alex, you gave him like an extra 30 cents in candy. Yeah, but there were other kids that were coming up and I didn't want to not have enough candy for the other kids. If I know you at all and your wife, there's a 0% chance you guys were about to run out of candy. We did run out of, we, we ran out of candy at like 7.30, but I think it did was- Did you be- really? I think it was because I was overly aggressive. I was like, cause we were, I had a scoop and I was scooping candy cause I didn't want the kids to all you put their hands in the three. bucket. Well, that's what I started to do that later in the night. But the first couple of kids that came by, I think I was overly excited. And I put like a scoop. And then you got mad at this kid for coming up to you. No, I didn't get for mad extra, at the kid. I gave, him, I gave him candy. I just think that I think that's a little cheap to turn around and act like, oh, you're going to give me candy again because of this cheap. funny joke that I did. The entire concept of Halloween is cheap, man. Yeah, yeah it's you come <laughs> by with trick or treat. You don't get to turn around and act like you're another person. Why do you get double the candy? Another kid could do that. Yeah, he should have. Yeah, but another did kid he think did, about did he? It? That's, a, that's a jerk move, in my opinion. Oh, and I respect I it, I gave man. him candy, but I wasn't happy about it. Did, I mean, you, well, did you have like a conversation with him as you gave him the second handful of candy? Like, I, I'm going to no, give you this candy, no. but I don't respect the fact that you're <laughs> no, going to trick me by no, having two masks. But I think because I kind of hesitated when I went to do the second scoop, and I looked at him, and I said, oh, you want candy again? And he's like, well, yeah, it's my other costume. And I'm like, oh, Okay. You didn't give him candy, did you? I did. I don't but I wasn't Do you believe a fa- it? No. I did give it I to him. I don't believe the fact of the matter that you didn't have your headphones on. I, I <laughs> bet you he looked at his wife and said, do I need to do this? And his wife probably said, Alex. No, my wife was inside. She was making chili. I walked in <laughs> okay. and I told her what happened. And she's like, did you give it to him? And I said, well, yeah. And she goes, okay, good. My wife was very concerned because we wanted to make good impressions because this was the first time we've actually like seen our neighbors. Yeah, that makes sense. So it was like, <laughs> we don't want to be out. jerks. But that was the thing. I'm like, well, I don't want to be a jerk to this guy. But Alex for sure wore his headphones outside. And then his wife was like, Alex, Take did we off. talk about I this? I always wear my headphones when I cut the grass because I don't want people to come oh, over yeah, and talk that, to me. That makes sense, though. I think a lot of people wear head- That's not a weird one. <laughs> Wearing your headphones while mowing the yard is Alex is totally probably fair. gets mad at people in a soup kitchen when they ask for two dinner rolls. That is horrible and not the same thing. Pretty close, though. Uh, can I talk about my experience last night? Yeah, what happened? So you remember how I asked if I should put out a bowl in front of the, the house? Because we also are in our first experience for Halloween at our new place. I felt bad because we got a lot of kids in the area and they're they're all you know they're they're trying to have their fun on Halloween. So I decided to put out a big bowl of candy. It's like it put the sign up that says next to it, take take a couple, move on, right? 
So we went over to Kara's family's house and we gave out candy over there and her niece and nephew had a great time. They went out trick-or-treating as well. I got home last night, probably 9, 9.30. Alex, guess what wasn't there? Patio chairs. No, still have the two patio chairs. Okay, still looking well, for the good. other two. <laughs> Cops never found them, apparently. Huh, wonder why. It's like This kid wants me to really look for patio chairs. There was no candy remaining. And not only was there no candy remaining, the bowl was gone. The damn bowl was gone. Aren't you supposed to dump that into your bag? Well, first Aren't of all. Aren't you supposed to take out the uh, no. the pillowcases? Well, de- depends on how nice the, the the bowl was. I mean, it was fine. It's nothing like to write Here's home the, about. That was the biggest rookie mistake you could ever make in Halloween. Like, you don't put a sign out that says, please take one, because nobody is just going to take one, especially in your neighborhood where people climb on roofs and steal patio chairs. That was a rookie mistake, man. By the way, the other thing in this whole story, BK says, oh, we wanted to do the thing, you know, so we get get along with the neighbors. You weren't even there. You yeah, left the that's even out. more of a I jerk like move. It was a, it was a courteous thing to yeah, do. It's that, it a that, jerk that, move. That's almost as bad as Be wearing headphones out Be there. Be honest, BK. Did you just sit in the house and act like you weren't home? No, I wasn't home, but I, I feel like it was the right move. No, I, I think well, that's yeah, one of those Well, yeah, because one kid benefited like, from it. We really, yeah, true. I, I feel like that's goal. one of those where it's like we really don't want to talk to you, so you just take the candy into my driveway so don't come up to my door. Do you have one of the ring doorbells? or video doorbells? I'm not answering that question. <laughs> Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've already had plenty of issues at my house. We've got outdoor cameras. So, well, I'm asking this because I'm like, I wonder if, did you watched them? To oh, see if the no. Kid, so my mom has one of the video cameras. They were over at my house and she like had the live stream of them and they weren't home. And so she has video of these kids ringing the doorbell and like pointing at the camera and flipping off the camera because they weren't there. That's probably what they did to your house. And they said, you know what? Jerk move, man. I'm going to steal all your candy. There's a good chance. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line in or out coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But David Panyota joins us next. He's the editor in chief of the fourth period. I want to get his thoughts on the big move that could be going down in the NHL over the next couple of weeks. What's the what's it look like for Jack Eichel? And could he end up on the Vegas Golden Knights? We'll talk to him about that and what his impression has been thus far on the Blues. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture. The real big. St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The big news in the NHL today is that earlier today, Gary Bettman spoke with the media about everything taking place with the Blackhawks investigation now that the results have been found. And I want to get to the bottom of this with our friend David Panyota, editor-in-chief over at the fourth period. He's the host and analyst for Sirius XM NHL's channel as well. He joins us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. David, we appreciate the time as always, man. I know you were able to follow along with what Gary Bettman said earlier today. What was the biggest takeaway from his press conference with the media? Well, guys, I mean, you know, reiterating uh, really how poorly the situation was was handled out of the get-go, that that seemed to be the primary message that he felt, uh, and and I guess the league felt, that the actions that have now been taken are appropriate. Uh, Joel Quenville uh, having to resign as head coach of the Panthers was the appropriate call. Um, He believes that in his meeting uh, with Kevin Sheveldayoff, the GM, of the Jets, who was an assistant GM of the Blackhawks back then, um, that the, the, the information that he provided 
aligned with that of the report and um, that he was kind of taken away from any additional wrongdoing or any wrongdoing, really, because he thought that he had followed the proper protocols and, and knew of the uh, appropriate amount of information, didn't know everything that was going on after the fact. So he's allowed to stay on as GM of the Jets. We know Quendall is out as coach of the Panthers. And, of course, Stan Bowman and, and Al McIsaac, uh, who were running the hockey operations for the Hawks, are out. And I should point out um, that McIsaac, Bowman, John McDonough, who's the president of the team, as well as Joel Quenville now, if they ever want to get back into the NHL in any capacity from a job store, really any, any capacity, they have to have a follow-up meeting with Gary Bettman to see if that's A, acceptable, uh, and then B, what uh, type of positions those might be available. Yeah, David, this is a story that I think is just going to continue to be in the news around the NHL moving forward. The other big news story and headline over the weekend was the Jack Eichel rumor that you were a part of, basically stating that it sounds like Vegas uh, is, I don't know if a favorite is the right word, but at least the front runner for acquiring Jack Eichel from Buffalo. David, how is that possible? Because Buffalo said they're not taking any salary back. Right, well... uh... I think front runner is is the appropriate term at at this point, uh, and it sounds like Calgary. And there's a third team that seems to also be kind of right there as well. There may there may be another, but as far as I know, I'm not uh, I'm not sure. But there are a bunch of teams that have continuously poked around um, it, from Buffalo's position of not taking additional salary. That means that okay, if we're going to trade you Jack Eichel's ten million dollar cap hit, we're not taking back fifteen million dollars worth of cap hit. That, that's kind of what that scenario plays out. So if they're moving 10 and it's even 10 million coming back, that, that, that's fine. But if you're trying to unload additional money, they're not interested in that, especially unless they're being compensated for it uh, on top of what the package is for, for Jack Eichel. So with respect to the Vegas Golden Knights, ton of stuff really stepping up on Friday uh, in, in terms of the information that started flying everywhere. It, it was, it continued to, escalate on Saturday to the point where a lot of people, myself included, believed that this was finally inching towards some type of finality here. And that's certainly something that, that Jack is looking for. Um, but obviously we're here on Monday. He still woke up a member of the Sabres. So um, obviously these things take time, but there has been in the last week a significant amount of traction in terms of these trade negotiations, not just with Vegas, but with other teams also um, They've definitely escalated, and this is hopefully we're, we're starting to look down towards the end of the tunnel for um, for Jack Eichel's future with Buffalo or not with Buffalo, rather. So, David, if he's traded, I, I the saga doesn't end there because then the surgery right. starts coming into focus. If he is traded, let's say over the next couple of days, weeks, whatever it might be timing-wise, he's then going to miss the rest of the year for whoever he's going to, right? Well, no, I mean, if, if he has, you're basically looking at a four-month timeline from when he has surgery to when he's game-ready. Um, so, you know, the, the, you have your surgery, it's going to take a couple of months, and then you've got to get back on the ice, get in game shape, and, and make sure that the neck and the back are moving properly and functioning properly. So if he has surgery, let's say, in the first half of this month, he will probably, the timeline kind of looks towards the end of February, so right after the Olympic break, that he'll be back in action. Um, it, it, I mean, you could probably speed that up to try to get him on the ice for the Olympics, but I would be 
if I'm a team acquiring him, there's no way I'm going to allow that to happen as part of as part of this trade call uh, or, or as part of the trade itself. And, and Jack's agent, Pat Brazon, is fully engaged with Kevin Adams, the GM of the Sabres, in these trade negotiations as well and these discussions. So I've got to imagine that whether it's Vegas, Calgary, or whomever that ends up acquiring him and allows for him to have artificial disc replacement surgery, that Olympics would be off the table. Uh, so you're looking at, again, if he has surgery this week or next, the end of February when he as to when he can hit the ice again. But, I mean, look, this is all part of, and you're right, This is the next step is making sure that he can come back because no active player in any of the four major sports have had uh, this, this type of procedure. So there's going to be conditions on this deal. You know, Buffalo is looking for the equivalent of four first-round picks in sub-capacity for him. So a, a player that's the equivalent to a first-round pick, a prospect equivalent, and, and then so on and so on. So now we're at the point where they understand that they're going to have to be conditions associated with this deal based on him returning to the ice. And if he's fully healthy and good to go, then they get their full package. If not, then that's where the conditions come into play. So they may end up with two or three initial pieces and the rest would be attributed from a conditional perspective. But that all factors into these negotiations as, as and so does the money. The amount of money that he's owed, insurance will cover a chunk of it, but who's responsible for that money after the fact if he does not come back to play? That's the other part of the negotiation here. I'm not talking about cap hit. I'm I'm talking about the actual money itself. Cap-wise, you could place on an LTIR. We're talking with David Pinnote, Yoda, host and analyst for SiriusXM for the NHL. So, so David, the other thing is the St. Louis Blues off to a great start in the year. One loss, which came to the Colorado Avalanche, now playing without Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad. Over the first few games of the season, what has stuck out to you about this Blues team? Their confidence. Um, you know, the, the, the confidence that, that they're playing with, that, uh, you know, their key contributors are playing with, um, you know, Jordan Bennington is playing with. I mean, you know, the, the, from, from top to bottom, this team looks a lot more comfortable uh, than they did the previous couple of seasons. And, I mean, that's a great, obviously a great sign. But the fact that they're able to play with that type of confidence um, and start off with a, you know, 6-1 and one record um, is, is certainly impressive and a good sign in, in terms of the longevity of keeping that up for the duration of the season. You know, having Jordan Cairo at, at nine points on the season, along with David Perron, is great. They're spreading out the offense as well. You know, Barbashev is stepping up six points so far to start the season. They're getting contributions from Shen and Thomas with six assists and so on. Um, but Vladimir Tarasenko, the other X factor in all of this, is he looks to be back to where he was in, you know, in years prior. So to have that confidence moving forward, to get contributions up and down the lineup, and to have a key piece like, you know, Vladdy Tarasenko performing at an elite pace again. I mean, that all really boasts for a really good year, and, and hopefully they can keep it up. They certainly look like they're able to do that. Final question. I wanted to follow up on Vladdy. Are you hearing anything nationally on what's what the future could hold for Vladdy Tarasenko after his hot start to the year for the Blues? Uh, he's a blue. And unless, uh, you know, something along that, that line changes, um, I, I don't see that happening at this stage. You know, that, that, I think everybody put that behind him. There was one point in the offseason in the summer where he was, he was prepared. He thought something was going to happen. He was ready for it, and it didn't, it didn't get to that finish line. And ever since then, things really started to fizzle, and, and we didn't hear much. And his remarks at the start of the season are, are what's echoed now a month later. Um, you know, he, he put it behind him. He's focused on, on 
playing with the Blues and the way he's playing now, uh, I can't imagine a scenario where he's not happy at the moment, and certainly the Blues aren't either. So I, I think this is something that's water under the bridge for the he's, time being anyway. For sure, yeah. We know this will emerge again at some point in the future. He's David Panyota. Find him on Twitter. He's at the fourth period. You can also hear him on Sirius XM's NHL channel. Read his work over at the fourth period. David, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today and all the best moving forward. Thanks so much, guys. You too. Thanks, David. It. That's David Panyota joining us here on 101 ESPN. I want to react quickly to the Jack Eichel thing that he was talking about. Alex, if I'm the Vegas Golden Knights, I don't think that's a move I can make in season. If you're telling me that I'm going to trade for a guy that's going to miss the next four months of the season, and we don't know that that's going to be the case. It very well could be longer because, as he mentioned, this is a new surgery for sports. This is not something that you can go to and say, like, with Tommy John, we basically know what the recovery period is because we've seen hundreds of pitchers get that yeah. get that injury and then have that surgery, and this is what the typical timeline is. We don't know what the typical timeline to return would be to play in a contact sport like hockey for a guy like Jack Eichel. So let's say they made this move mid-November. You go four months down the road, so you're talking to December, January, February, mid-March before you're able to really get him back on the ice for you. Okay, now we're in the stretch run, and oh, by the way, over those four months while he was out, whatever I traded for Eichel, that wasn't available to me, which is probably at, use, at, at the very minimum useful players so now if you're Vegas and they've got off to a rough start, I'm not even sure they would make the playoffs this year. So yeah, maybe in the future it helps you down the road, but for the here and now, you're essentially punting on the 2021 season when you should be in all-in all, all in mode. It It's a kind of puzzling move for them in particular. Yeah, and look, they've stated the Vegas Golden Knights were the front runner. The Calgary Flames have been rumored to be a part of this as well. That one makes more sense to me. Here's the thing about Jack Eichel. And we talked about this on post game Saturday night. You can always put stipulations with it that look if he if he never plays a game again for us, then obviously those draft picks turn into something else, or you know we get compensation back for something like that. And I think that's going to go into this. The other thing that Buffalo, or I'm sorry, the, like let's say hypothetically Vegas acquires him, it doesn't have to give up a whole lot. You put him on LTIR, you let him have his surgery, he misses all of this year. And then you either have him healthy for the playoffs where salary cap doesn't matter and then reassess your cap situation in the offseason. That could be a benefit. You're getting a all-class player if he's ever 100% healthy. The problem with this is you are taking a massive risk because Buffalo has stated you're giving us first-round draft picks. You're giving us top prospects. We're getting something of worth in return of this trade. I Vegas to me is already four million dollars away from being over the cap space. They're playing games with seventeen or eighteen players because they don't have enough to put a whole team on the roster. If you go out there and acquire Jack Eichel and you're not sending somebody who makes five or six million dollars back in return, frankly, Vegas is going to be going down a path that no team wants to see themselves go down in terms of being an awful team and having to just sell pieces off to try and put themselves back on top. Yeah, the problem is that, I mean, there are guys that could potentially uh, be in that that range that you're talking about. Most of them have no movement clause. Yeah, because it's what, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Alex mm-hmm. Petrangelo, Alex Tuck would be Marcia an interesting Show. one. Marcia So Alex Tuck, I think, makes 4 or $5 million a year. He's injured right now. Um, 
I mean, you're just you're in a bad spot. And frankly, Vegas is about to put themselves if they were to make this move in the same spot that Toronto is in, where they have half of their cap space acquired to four players. And that's not how you build a Stanley Cup championship roster. Yeah, it's tough. And I I just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think a, a good team acquiring a talent like Jack Eichel makes sense. Just Calgary's the one that makes the most sense, especially because they're probably going to lose Matthew Kachuk in a couple of years. Exactly. He's so maybe this becomes, hey, we've still got an elite talent, or maybe he can convince Matthew Kachuk to stay here, right? Either way, however you want to look at that, it makes sense to me that that would be the case. But for Vegas, I, I've just never totally understood the fit. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of In or Out coming up next. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's In or Out with BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the yeah. Air Comfort Service tax line for in or out. In about fifteen minutes or so, we'll talk about the most valuable player in the NFL according to some. Dak Prescott, not quite. Mike White, Cooper maybe, <laughs> maybe. In or out, the Blues will have five or more twenty goal scores this year, but none of them will have more than thirty goals this season. Whoa, that is like an algebra pro- problem. Hold on, so the if Blues will have a bleed. bunch of dudes that score at least twenty goals, but none of them will have more than thirty. I- I'd say I'm in on that. There's 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 a lot of goals to go around and not enough mouths to be fed. So I would agree you have a lot of twenty goal guys and and no David Perron has six in the first seven games. Yeah. You don't think he can get to thirty this year? Depends on how good the power play stays and if he stays healthy. I mean, look at Perron without Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, you know, uh, you gotta you gotta take health into consideration here. Thirty goals is is a tough thing. If this team had three superstars on it and then a bunch of depth guys, I'd say that'll be easy. But I'm gonna say I'm in on that. I think you have multiple twenty goal guys and not a thirty goal guy. I think somebody gets to thirty this year. I'm kind of with you. I, I don't know if it'll be Perron. I don't know if it'll be Cairo. I don't know if it'll be Vladdy. I think somebody gets to 30 goals by the end of the season, though. I, I'm feeling that after watching them the first, whatever, two, three weeks of the season. I think they'll get somebody to 30. So I'm out on this, actually. And not because I don't think they'll have five 20 goal scores. They very well may, but I think they at least have one 30 goal score. It's a team stat. I'm with you. I, <laughs> I think it's going to be Perron or Vladdy. I, I could easily see Vladdy having a 30 goal season. That way he can bring back up his value and then be traded in the offseason because I think they're going to keep him throughout even though I think they should move him because the defense is so bad right exactly yeah, glad defense, you're seeing what the I'm defense seeing. has allowed the fourth least amount of goals in the National Hockey League so far this year Naturally. it's hey, bad that defense is that a team stat that de- yes team stat for sure that defense needs a top four defenseman I will stick by that till the day I'm dead which hopefully is they have one in this year. Justin Falk and Colton Pareko and Tori Krug well, we've got three. One. You need four. I need four. That's why it's called the top four, not the top three. Go check out uh, Go check out the ice time for Marco Scandella and how many goals against he's been on the ice for. Plus minus is a team stat. <laughs> Six, five, seven, Every eight, oh, is the air comfort service next line for Damn in it, they're on the out. team. In or out, Mike White earned another start with his performance yesterday against the Bengals. And before you answer that, can I let you hear what Robert Sala had to say about Mike White after the game? Totally. Here's what he had to say. The difference between player A and player Z is an opportunity in rubs. That's what this league is. That's professional sports. That's why they come out of nowhere. They Someone gets an opportunity. And what Mike does with his, his opportunity is he's got the world in front of him. He's got to take advantage okay, of it. Okay, so Team Z, our player Z is Zach Wilson. We all realize that, right? Of course. Because his name starts with Z? Yeah, exactly. I think Mike White, I think Robert Sala just basically said Mike White's the guy. 
And he's looked better than Zach Wilson has all year. And he probably called Nick Sirianni, and Sirianni told him, like, hey, you got to make sure you water those flowers. So in or out, you think that when Zach Wilson is healthy again, Mike White will get the start. Ow. It's the Jets. They're not going to be in the playoffs this year. And you got a guy you drafted in the first round, second overall for a reason, because you believe he is the franchise quarterback. Mike White, thanks for your service. Go back to sitting on the bench. Maybe you can get a Chase Daniel deal moving forward and just get paid to be a backup. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm out on this, too. They, they drafted Wilson number two overall. They have to figure out what they have in him. They have to figure it out quickly, too. I mean, next year, I mean, we're already, let's be honest, after this first year with Zach Wilson and watching what Mike White did just in his first game. Can't believe we're it, talking about Mike it, White. Mike is White. It, is it really too far-fetched for me to say that next year Wilson needs to have a good year? He needs to have a good year next year. Otherwise, we're already talking about him being either A, a bust, or be a guy the Jets need to move on from. I mean, that's what we're doing with Tua, right? So, yeah, this stuff moves quickly. Fair or otherwise, that's kind of how it goes. I, I don't think it will be fair if that's the way that it goes for Zach Wilson in New York, but... Yeah, people are going to be asking by next season, midway through the year, is it time already for the Jets to move on from him? I'm with you guys, though. I am so beyond out on this. It was a super impressive performance by Mike White. He was the first player to throw for 400 yards in his debut since Cam Newton. Those are the only two guys in NFL history that have debuted with a 400-yard passing performance. Mike White and Cam Newton. So it was amazing. Hall of Famer. Uh, but no, he's not going to be the starter moving forward. Zach Wilson was taken number two overall. The Saints will probably trade for him in a couple of weeks. I mean, they should. I think they should trade for Teddy. They should bring Teddy back. If the Bengal or if the Broncos are Ooh, like punting it. on the season, I think they should go Drew Lock. Drew Lock's Teddy. the better quarterback. No, absolutely. Are you not. guys here? In or I'll give you an in or out real quick. I heard uh, our friend Mike Florio on us. Uh, Football Night in America, I think that's what it's called, uh, on NBC last night talking about this injury. He wondered if the Saints would give Cam Newton a call. In or out on Cam Newton being a fit for the Saints? Apparently they reported this morning that they, the Saints are not interested in Cam. I mean, I can't blame him if they're not. I don't think he's a fit. Yeah, I'm not either. You got Cam Newton, Taysom Hill. Uh, I mean, isn't Taysom Hill Cam Newton? Yeah, whatever he's healthy much, yeah. again. Just yep. younger? I mean, neither can really throw the ball. They just run the ball. Who do you call then? Like, you, you, you've got it. You've got to get a quarterback in there. Trevor Simeon can't be okay, the answer moving one. forward. But I've who, been holding on to that for a week. What's what's the call that you make? I, I think you probably call San Francisco, right? See what they would want for Jimmy right now? I don't think so. No, I don't think they get rid of him. Because if you're acquiring Jimmy, in my opinion, well, I mean, if you think Jimmy's going to be your quarterback moving forward, I think you do. He but might I be. I don't know if they think that. I think they still have faith in Jameis. I, I think you call Denver between Teddy or Drew. I, I would imagine well, if you're, you're going go Drew Locke, just stick with Trevor Simeon. <laughs> okay. It's the same. Okay. Well, it's a shame Joe Flacco didn't Drew Locke outplay Trevor Simeon, though? I mean, no, he's yeah. just younger. Okay, whatever. But you're going to call them. I, do you I, call Andy Dalton? I think you check in on Andy Dalton. No, God, or Nick no. Foles. I think you, I think yeah, maybe Nick Foles. I think you call Miami just to see what they're going to want. Yeah. I mean, don't they're you find out what they want too much, but you got to find out. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they feel like that they got a legit shot at something else. I, I, I'm not sure. I think you're calling the teams that have multiple guys in the system, but the first call has to be Denver. But Cam Newton doesn't make any sense. You just wait for. Does, just wait for what's his face to get healthy. Taysom I might Hill. call the Eagles and see what they would want for uh, what's his face. Uh, Minshew. Minshew's with the Eagles now. Yeah. 
Who's, yeah, I uh, mean, he's capable. He's not a great player, but he, isn't Joe Flacco like a fifth round pick? He's in Flacco. The Jets. So call Flacco. I are the, the Jets. What about Gabbard? Doesn't he have a history with the Saints? Oh, come on. No, he's staying come on the on. Super Bowl championship team. <laughs> get out of here. We're just out trying here. to get all the Mizzou quarterbacks. Yeah. Call for Chase yeah. Daniel. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> he has a history with the Saints. No, he, look, he, oh, he's got one role. Has a history? I thought it was Gabbard yeah. that had the history. No, look, Chase Daniel's got one role. Bortles is available. Free agent. Blake Bortles couldn't stay with Jacksonville, man. Thor took his job. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. In or out, the AFC is so weak that one of the Patriots or Steelers will find their way into the postseason. <laughs> I'm in on that. I think the I think the Patriots are a playoff team. No. Are you do you they were awesome yesterday. As of today, the Steelers well would be in. Yeah, the stink. Patriots would be a half game back. I'm not sold on the Steelers. They have a quarterback issue. Mac Jones is looking more comfortable. The defense is playing better. Uh, I think they still got the Jets one more time on their schedule. I think they got the Dolphins one more time. I think I'm taking the Patriots. I'd say their in on this. schedule opens up. Yeah, I, I think I was going to say, I thought their schedule was pretty easy. They've I think I'm taking the Patriots to get in. Panthers, Browns is winnable. Falcons. They can win those three. Colts. They could win that, I believe. Pa- uh, Jaguars They'll and Dolphins. I mean, that's five wins that's right six. there. Or six wins. Potentially. If you get to 10, you should, be, you should get in this year. I'm in on that. I, I think they're a playoff team. Yeah, I'm out on it still. I, I don't think they're a playoff team. I, I think they played better as of late, but I just, I, I don't know. I just haven't seen enough to sit here and uh, for, on consistency level, I haven't seen enough to sit here and say, yeah, the Patriots are going to win this one. Real quick, back to the, pa- the the quarterback one. Someone mentioned, do you call the Packers about Jordan Love? Try and sell Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers to stay in Green Bay if you sell off the they quarterback. Would, I think they would want too much for him. I don't know. I mean, he hasn't done any. I know, but if you're the Packers, like, am I really giving up on Jordan Love before I ever even gave him the opportunity? How bad do do you want Rodgers, though? How bad do you want Rodgers? I think they know Rodgers is gone at the end of the year. If you think that you could keep Rodgers by trading Jordan Love, yeah, I think you have to consider it. If If I'm the Packers, I think I can keep Aaron Rodgers, whether he's happy or not, because he wasn't happy this year and you're able to keep him because he's under contract for, what, two, three years? Mm. I mean, he tried to force his way out. You're able to kind of lay off that storm if he tries it again can you do that again i think he can yeah, but you just go all in on aaron Rodgers and say look we, we, we made the wrong we made a mistake we're gonna move love we want to put all of our stock into you as a starting and retiring and as a the, packer if you're the saints you get a young quarterback that he's not gonna be as costly as a tua would be maybe i was costly. about to say if it's the same cost would you rather have tua or jordan love i think what matches the saints offense I would rather have Jordan Love. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd rather have Tua. Because I have no idea what Jordan Love is. But doesn't Sean Payton like to throw the ball? And I, I just don't know if Tua has the arm Tua's to do accurate. that. T- Tua can be in that system what Drew Brees was last year. Yeah. Well, they're both short. And, and Brees wasn't very good last year, let's be honest. And they still found a way to yeah. win, what was it, like 12, 11, 12 games last year? Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to distract. It was just an no, interesting, it's an interesting to go question that for sure. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. By the way, I'm in. I think one of those two teams will yeah. find a way into the postseason. In or out, the Bears' offensive performance yesterday was reason enough to fire Matt Nagy as he was out with COVID. And finally, for the first time all year, it looked like Fields was a capable, confident Who's NFL quarterback. Last night? Matt right. Nagy off of his cell phone. Are we oh, in or out he? here that Matt Nagy wasn't calling like a Nick Saban from his house? They looked way too confident for that to be a Matt Nagy yeah, game script. I think, I think that my mom, I'm in on this one. I think Justin Fields looked like the guy when, you know, his controlling girlfriend is gone 
and he actually gets to enjoy. I can say that because I have a wife. I don't have a controlling girlfriend. Okay. I don't Me know neither. why you raised your eyebrows over there, BK. I'm surprised that it went that direction. Well, I'm just saying, like the one time that the controlling individual's gone, he actually lets loose. That's what Justin Fields looked like over the weekend. I thought it was a great comp. You, let me know if you need to talk. Eyes <laughs> bugged out. Look, I am happy in my marriage. Tater. Everyone back I'm, off. Out. Happy single. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll be in on that. I, I think that that was... I think they should have fired Nagy before the season. He's he's not guiding this Bears team in the right direction. He fields looked great yesterday. I still have no idea who was actually calling the plays, but let's give that guy the interim tag, and then we'll go find an offensive-minded coach in the offseason. So Justin Fields can run the ball. Huh. Who would have thought? Who could have seen that one? Ten carries for 103 yards yesterday against San Francisco. We'll all be damned. So you're telling me if we use his mobility to his advantage... That might be a good idea. No. No. Who could have seen that one coming? Yeah, of course. This is a fireable offense. What you looked like without your head coach and you you looking competent without him, every reason to believe that I I like Matt Nagy. I thought he was really good with the Chiefs, and I think he can be a pretty solid offense coordinator for somebody again. But, yeah, he's got to go. He cannot be the head coach for the he Bears any go. longer. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, is this guy the most valuable player in the NFL? And I think players might be online a little too much. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. It looks like Derrick Henry suffered what could very well be a potentially season-ending foot injury during yesterday's win in Indianapolis, then that would be the loss of arguably player who is more important to that team than any other team in the league. That's what it sounded like earlier this morning as Adam Schefter announced on ESPN that Derrick Henry likely out for the remainder of the season. That hasn't been confirmed. The timeline that they're saying is around six to ten weeks. We'll see. It feels right now, given the injury, a broken foot, like Derrick Henry is probably going to be out for the remainder of the season. And Alex, when Rex Ryan, former NFL head coach, heard this news earlier today on Get Up, here's what his reaction was. There's no player in the league that means more to his football team than Derrick Henry. I agree, Rex. And I'm just telling you, this this is the biggest loss you can have. And it's it, it takes them from being in the one or two uh, you know, the best AFC. team in the AFC. Yeah. They ain't That's going real. anywhere without this. What so I agree with that last part. It takes Tennessee from being, in my opinion, the leading contender in the AFC right now to kind of being, you know, right around the same as the rest of these teams. I think the Bills are probably better now without Derrick Henry on the Titans. And I think the Titans kind of fit into that mix with the Bengals and the Chargers and some of those teams and the the 1B type of category, if you will. I did want to talk, though, about what he said at the beginning. I don't think Derrick Henry is the most valuable player to any team. I do think, though, he is most closely associated to the identity of the team. And what I mean by that is when I think the Titans, I think smash mouth football, and that is encompassed in Derrick Henry. He personifies their team identity. 
I'm not sure there's anybody else in football that personifies their team's identity the way that Derrick Henry does with Tennessee. So I'll give him that. But if you're telling me that Derrick Henry is more valuable than Josh Allen for the Bills or than Lamar Jackson for the Ravens or than Tom Brady for the Bucks, I'm just going to have to disagree with you. And a lot of that, yeah, it does come back down to the position. Well, I've always looked at the MVP as if you take the, t- the player off of the team, how good is that team going to be? And I, I know it's different, but we just saw what happens when you take a quarterback out of a system with the New York Jets. Like somebody steps in and they're able to perform. That's not the same, though. You got... You got excellent playmakers on the Kansas City Chiefs and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. You're telling me that if you don't put another quarterback on that roster, that they're still not going to score points? No, I, I would disagree with that one. If I, you put a like the, your your mid level backup quarterback, so what do we think? Andy Dalton is probably the the guy that Gino represents Smith. that best. Sure, who, whoever. I still think they're going to look win. At the, look at the Seahawks right now; they're incompetent without. Um, Russell Wilson. I, I still think they would win more games if you replace a quarterback with a mid-level quarterback than what you're going to do with the Tennessee Titans because oh, the, totally sole, disagree the sole purpose of the, the Tennessee's offense is Derrick Henry. Without Derrick Henry, there is no threat. You know that they're throwing the ball because there is no Derrick Henry. But they... They were good this week, and Derrick Henry finished with 28 carries for 65 yards. His longest of the day was 11 yards. He hasn't had a rush over 15 yards in the last two weeks now. And yet, despite that, the Titans are 2-0 and with wins against two really good teams in the AFC. And Ryan Tannehill threw for 265 through the air, and A.J. Brown was the biggest reason they won that game yesterday against Indy. I love Derrick Henry, and this is not me trying to to scream from the mountaintops about how much he doesn't matter. It's the opposite. I think Derrick Henry is hugely important to what they're doing in Tennessee. But if you look at the the Vegas line for this week's game, it changed by like a point after they found out that Derrick Henry was going to be out. If Ryan Tannehill was out, it would have swung like four points in the opposite direction, maybe even more so. Um, so I, I just, if you replaced Patrick Mahomes with the backup quarterback, it changes the Chiefs so much more than if you took take Derrick Henry out, as we're going to see, and put in their backup running back, at least in my opinion, man. I, I feel like the Rams are kind of that explanation, right? The Rams have cycled through how many different running backs this year, Tanner? Like four of them? Uh, let's, yeah, three, I think. Sony Michelle, Akers was supposed to be the plan. Akers, and now and Henderson. I don't know who the other one is. Sony Michelle really there. was never a part of it. They just acquired him to be a part of the he system. He started a game, didn't he? Yeah, Henderson missed a game due to, I think it was a calf injury. Yeah, so, I mean, they had to use him, but if you took um, Matt Stafford out and you replaced him with whoever the backup is right now, they're screwed. But all of these these running backs are completely different than Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is a beast out there. He's a game changer. I mean, everything about what the Titans do runs through Derrick Henry, where I don't know if you, I mean, the Carolina Panthers would be the only other team that I could say that with, and look what's happened with them. But the Tennessee quarterback (laughs) exactly. But I mean the Tennessee. I don't know, and maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe we'll find out. They're saying Adrian Peterson's going to be signing here. Maybe the system. That's what they're saying. Schefter's reporting that he's going to be on the practice squad. Maybe we're going to see. But I just think you're going to find out. You put a mid-level, average running back in a system that relies solely on a superstar. It's going to be much different than if you put a a mid-level quarterback in for one of those teams and they still have success. I think their success or failures will come down to Julio Jones's health moving forward. I think they can still make the playoffs. They can still be a solid team. It's not going to look great the next couple of weeks. They're traveling to LA on Sunday night football this week. They're probably going to look bad in that game. And that's going to have as much to do with LA being awesome as it does the Titans struggling. But the next week they, they take on the New Orleans Saints who have a really good defense as we just saw again this week against Tampa Bay. 
After that, that's when we're really going to know. Houston, New England, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Miami, Houston to finish out the year. The Titans should still make the playoffs, even without Derrick Henry. Not as the number one seed, but as a a solid team that can maybe do a little bit of damage once they get there. That's kind of how I view them without him. If they lost Ryan Tannehill, I wouldn't view them as any sort of threat at all the rest of the season. And that's not to suggest that Tannehill's like a top five guy in the league, but he's good. And if you don't have that at the quarterback position, you're screwed. If they don't have Julio, though, moving forward and Derrick Henry, now you basically have one option and everybody's going to be keying in on A.J. Brown and they're not going to be able to to move forward that way either. So they, they've got to have Julio healthy and that's going to be, for me, what determines their future. Let's cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com in the free 101 ESPN app. Time to cross things over the fast lane, and we've got former superstar blues defenseman Jamie Rivers in studio with us. Jamie, what's up, man? Not much. I appreciate that very, very much. I miss that on a daily basis. Anthony Stalter <laughs> refuses to do it, but oh. that's okay. Add the checks in the mail. Um, I That's what you think. How much are you asking for that these days, Jamie? Mm-hmm. I don't ask anything. Oh, okay. PK is one pay. Yeah, he yeah. gives it to me. How do you think I afforded whoa, the house that we bought? Whoa, 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 whoa. The check. The check. Yeah. All right. Let's proceed. <laughs> Kicking off Monday on the right foot. You had something fantastic coming up next. Were, I know. What do you got for me? You were prepared. Mm-hmm. Jamie. Yes, sir. More important to the Tennessee Titans, Derrick Henry or Ryan Tannehill? Uh, Derrick Henry, by far. BK doesn't think so. BK thinks you can even, put any shrub in there and no, he'll do it. Ryan Tannehill, I... I at this point, we were talking about it in the office, and you're like, okay, do the Titans decide to go from a run-first offense to a pass-first offense? I'm like, well, you better find a pass-first quarterback, <laughs> Tan, because Ryan Tannehill is not that guy. Because you, like, you just, you're not going to be able to do it, in my opinion. I mean, you know, for what it's worth, I think that Derrick Henry is by far their most valuable player on that team. How he goes, the team goes. Look at the games where he has crushed opponents with yards 100%. rushing. Like it's it's a big difference. How many defenses are you going to really be able to fake out with play action of Ryan Tannehill going back to Adrian Peterson? Defenses are going to be stacking whoa, the box whoa, like whoa. they usually do. I'm sorry. What version of Adrian Peterson? Well, this version. I'm oh. telling you, it ain't going to be the old version. I thought we were of doing Adrian like the, the fantasy game. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. no. Can I get mm. prime Frank Gore? Oh, no, that wouldn't do much <laughs> no, either. He'd Hall give you three yards. Whoa, Um, famer though. Yep. I think that it's going to, regardless of which side you're on in this argument, I don't think we're going to learn a whole lot about them this weekend when they take on Von Miller and the LA Rams defense on Sunday night football. They'll probably lose the Rams. I'm meaning. What? You think the Titans are going to beat the Rams? I just if that ends up being the case, then I'm, <laughs> then I'm pretty confident in my side bound. of the argument. <laughs> um, Seriously. I think they should trade for a receiver tomorrow. Because tomorrow's the well, trade don't deadline. Don't they have Julio Jones? They do, but they've got don't Julio. Don't they have uh, A.J. Brown? They do. Uh, Julio is constantly hurt. Missed this game oh. for him. I, you need some insurance there. Who are you going to pick up? I don't know. That's the that's the thing. He mentioned earlier today Deshaun Jackson. I'm not saying you got to go out there and get like Tyreek Hill. You got to give something up for that, though. Like a sixth-round pick. pick. Yeah, Deshaun's going to be basically free. You can give All up right. Adrian Peterson for him. 
Yeah, there you go. The sign Rams can trade trade don't, don't don't trade him. The old sign and trade, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that works well. Um, I, I'm going to be interested <laughs> to see how they they kind of move forward because they're the number one seed in the AFC right now, and they just lost. Whether you think he's the most important or one B, whatever, however you view well, Derrick Henry, the most important he's he is. he's one of the best players in I football. I can imagine anybody not agreeing with that, but anyway, well, BK does. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what Anthony Stalter has to say about that coming up from two to six. Loves running backs. You know that. Jamie, what else is coming up today? <laughs> on the fast lane, man. We got the Chief coming on at hey. 4 o'clock today. We're going to talk about uh, the success of the St. Louis Blues right now, some of the battles they've got going on with the the COVID. It's kind of looking like it's popping in and out of the Blues lineup here, and uh, certainly we're going to talk about Jake Neighbors, Justin Falk, Vladimir Tarasenko, Jordan Bennington with a nice bounce back there for him. So we got a lot of stuff. Looking forward to that. That is coming up from 2 to 6. We will be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mmm. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 24-7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready to help. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.